0: I'm back. (laughs) Good morning. Jim Toronto filling in for Dean Richards this morning. But listen anyway. Welcome to the Sunday morning show. Glad to be back. Filling in for Dean. Not sure where Dean is today. But uh, never mind. The cockpit is in good hands. Dave Schwan, Andy Mazur, also aboard. Good morning. Morning, morning, morning. My radio flight attendants. (laughs) You look extra... That skirt today is a little tight around there, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Schwani. What are you implying? It's a little early to do our reenactment of
1: It's a Wonderful Life.
0: <laughs> no, we're not going to do it. Uh, no reenactments today. No reenactments today. I was actually looking for something, but I was like, I don't know what really... You know, we're in the dog... Well, it's actually the sweet spot of summer, actually, if you think about it. I mean, we only got, what, about a month to go or so?
1: S- uh well I you know I say summer ends when the you know the calendar says it's the first day of fall and that's usually September 20th or 21st so well, my joke, we've got
0: about two two months yet. My joke is summer goes by so fast it's over on June 1st. <laughs>
1: yeah. Given gosh. given sometimes the weather around here that uh, that's not uh, too far fetched.
0: Yeah no kid. well today is a gorgeous uh, summer day. <laughs> oh just lovely. <laughs> oh my gosh. Although, as Tom Skilling says uh, for the last uh, few, you know, uh, Micah, we really need the rain. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, we got some the other night. My, 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 oh, yesterday or last night? Uh, yeah. Friday
1: night into Saturday morning was unbelievable.
0: My yard looked like uh, whoa! I mean, there was there were things blown all over the place, and and cushions from our our uh, you know our chairs in the patio all turned over. I was like, what the heck happened here? I mean, I, I heard a lot of uh, thunder and lightning. But I didn't realize how hard and how much it rained over, overnight.
1: Uh, yeah, it really did. Night. Very, very heavy rain uh, into yesterday morning. And there was rain overnight that moved through uh, north and west of uh, Chicago and rained downtown here, of course, this morning. A flash flood watch uh, is in effect until noon today as a result of all of this.
0: And before we get started, uh, since Dean is not here, I want to just officially christen the studio while I'm in here. <laughs> uh-huh. With a little cashmere woods of uh, my my favorite scent, my favorite Glade scent. Just so you know, cashmere woods has a taste of lily of the valley, jasmine, sandalwood, um, amber, vanilla bean,
2: oak oak moss, and musk. A little bit of everything. I thought that was like the the Cubs 55th round draft choice, cashmere woods.
0: No, I I always thought it was uh, Tiger's uh, third cousin. Oh, there you go. But, uh, yeah, no, but uh, I actually, uh, there's been, I think there's been a supply chain uh, problem with Cashmere Woods. I've been going to my uh, my usual outlet, and uh, the space for Cashmere Woods has been empty. And so I have had to dip into a, a new scent uh, around the house a few days. It's not bad, but it's, ah, uh, it's not Cashmere Woods. So we've got a, uh, <laughs> just mainlining here on Cashmere Woods right now. Uh, no, we've got an, uh, a jam-packed show uh, for you today at uh, 9.30. We'll have the the usual um, medical update. It's been a COVID update for the last two years with uh, with Kevin Most. We're going to talk to uh, good old Andy Mazur. going to get you uh, in a little discussion today. Talk about, uh, I was saying to Shwani before the show, isn't it interesting how we are now going to have a NASCAR race yeah. uh, in Chicago, yet we've already got drag racing in Chicago. Yeah, it's like the pregame show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my gosh did you see those the, the video of that I, I i mean i've never done a donut in my life in a parking lot more or less in an intersection <laughs> where there's traffic wow i
2: have yeah, oh, i have too We've really a, only when it snows oh well yeah, yeah well when they, it snows. Well, inadvertent then yeah well yeah. no in a, in a parking lot controlled controlled area did Empty uh, parking lot did did either of you ever sketch
0: no in the winter never did you yet. remember sketching do you know what that is, Shawanie? No, I explain here. I'm not sure. Well, back in the in my day, um, sketching. I don't. I don't really. Kid, do you do you see people sketching anymore? No,pe right? not at all. Yeah, um, we used to. Well, not that I did it, uh, but uh, in the snowy streets, because uh, as you know, back in the 70s and 80s, uh, our snow removal in Chicago wasn't all that great. <laughs> and just ask Mike Bolandic. But um, if you if the streets were snowy. Kids would would like hide behind parked cars on the side streets, and if a car was driving slow because of the the snow on the street, you would hop onto the bumper. Yeah. No, no, oh, not no, the bumper, no. Yeah. Yes. No, never did that. Yes, and uh, that was very. I mean, I think back now, what a dangerous Damn. thing to have yeah. done. Um, and most of the no, time, never did that. You didn't really go very far. You fell off. It got slippery, but. Wow, what a, what a horribly dangerous! I'm glad that 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 went away, uh, and I'm glad I don't see that anymore. I can't believe I did it a few times, but I was, and then I, I woke up and said, "Wow, this is really dangerous." That you're sitting right behind a car as it's driving. You could easily slip under the car. You could slip by the wheel. So thank God that the, the sketching, um, craze didn't make it into the 21st century. But, but it was pretty popular for a while there. I remember. Uh, uh for a good two or three or four years kids always doing that, at least in my neighborhood but uh, thankfully uh that's gone i'm not sure how we got on sketching but uh, <laughs> later in the show we're going to talk uh, we'll have a theater segment um, we're going to talk lots of things happening in the chicago area in the next week or so we've got uh, lollapalooza coming up um billy corgan of the smashing pumpkins this week is going to do a special free live stream concert um, from his, uh, his tea house in, uh, in Highland park for the benefit of, uh, some, uh, charities in the Highland park, Highland park area after the, uh, the 4th of July shooting there. So, uh, lots of stuff. We'll talk about that in the, um, in the pop culture segment with Michaela. And then later in the show, Swanee, are you a space fan? Do you like space, outer space? Of course. Yeah. Uh, well, oh, we've talked about that a lot of times. How here. about these pictures from the James Webb Telescope? Oh. Oh, and we were blown away 30
1: <laughs> years ago or so by the Hubble. Oh my gosh. And what we have now is is it's just
0: mind-boggling. I well, we're going to have someone on from the Adler Planetarium to Great. talk about yeah. the the these photos and the impact of what they mean. I think we we might need to rewrite our textbooks as to what we see. Might. <laughs> might. Yeah. Uh the pictures that came back of these galaxies and these stars and the and these these um the, the birth of stars and the and the dust and, and it, it 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 just it, it was mind blowing i don't know if you if that got lost uh, it, it, those pictures were released in um you know like the first or second week of July, and there was a lot going on as we said before you know there was the the Highland park killing that dominated so much news and in the middle of all this, they released these pictures, so I hope they, they that you have seen these and if you haven't i want what do you want to talk about it and bring bring uh, attention to it? you were saying something, somethingwane I was just going to say the distance. To some of these galaxies alone, just the, the the
1: distance is just hard to grasp from Earth to Four they, how, point, how far away yeah, they are. 4.6 billion light years. Now, think about how fast <laughs> light travels in a second, you know? Yeah. I think it's 186,000 miles a second. Oh, yeah. And now, how long does that take for a year?
0: Yeah and there's and there's 4.6 billion of mm-hmm. those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean just just mind-blowing. It has to really completely change our view of who we are, where we are, what we are. So uh we're going to talk to a uh, the director of astronomy actually at the Adler Planetarium a little later in the show around 12. We'll 30. have him uh, we'll have him uh if
1: I, uh, we'll have him uh definitely confirm the uh speed of light i think it is 186,000 miles a second well if anybody knows it the director they of a would
0: sh- know. <laughs> the director. that's why i say let's <laughs> clarify this just to be sure that was always one of my favorite um field trips you know you'd the go, Adler, yeah. yeah you'd always go to brookfield zoo and then you'd go to the the uh, museum of science and industry uh, and uh, they would always sneak in, uh, you know. Also, a a day trip to the uh, to the Adler Planetarium. Yeah. That one I always like going to the coal mine. Don't get me wrong, Bob sure. Surratt, I know sure. you're still the voice of the coal mine. But uh but yeah when you'd go to the Adler Planetarium and I haven't been there for years and I'm going to I'm going to try to make to get myself It's always fun to go in the auditorium oh, and just Yeah and you look at the, back yeah, in those yeah. chairs going look yeah, up yeah, yeah you lean back and you looked at the ceiling and there was all these stars and like I said now we're getting pictures from this James Webb telescope that that make that little ceiling display look like <laughs> you know like something in your basement.
1: So. You know we did a we did a field trip. We covered a lot of ground. We did the planetarium, the aquarium and the field museum. all all in one day wow yeah ooh, look at you yeah you that came was back- around fifth grade sixth grade something like that boy
0: you got a major overdose of culture <laughs>
1: in one day it was started early and ended uh, late we didn't get home till maybe five six o'clock sh- you,
0: you course- should have spread it out
1: <laughs> well they're you know they're re- relatively close together there you yeah, know oh, yeah. we went into one right started at the planetarium Field Museum, and then ended up at the shed. At Aquarium. The shed, yeah. Well, yeah.
0: now of course it's the it's got an official title, and now it's the the museum campus. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, yeah.
1: It, that, it, was, it, that was that was a, a different a time. Lakeshore Drive was not in its present configuration. No, because that was done in the nineties, I think. Yeah, no. And there, so Field Museum and uh, Shed Aquarium and the Adler Planetarium all in one day.
0: The wow. triple crown, if you will. Yeah, of yeah. culture in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, well, so that's, like I said, jam packed. So stay with us here. Jim Toronto filling in for Dean Richards. We'll uh, take a quick break. Be back after this. I think someone's going to do some far flunging. Oh, yes. Yes, they are. Yes, so we are. Want to stay tuned for that. Jim a Toronto. a wonderful Midwest destination today. Oh, Midwest. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> we are filling in for Dean Richards. We'll be back after this. No switching. Nothing like some beach music, some sunny beach music for a cloudy, rainy day. Nice job, Jack. <laughs> Jack, the producer, choo- choosing the bumping music here to get you in the in the summertime mood. Well, listen to me hitting that post, huh, Impressed? <laughs> Excellent. We're at the North Avenue Beach uh, on Monday. Oh, oh, yeah! Fantastic day on the beach. Ah, I do want to talk to you later in the show. Uh, you were out on the uh, on the Chicago's high seas. Yeah, yesterday for the Mackinac race. That's right. Yeah,
1: or Mackinac. It was. It was. was rough. It wasn't as rough as past years. uh, In some cases, and I've been on rougher waters. You never want to be on rough water, but uh, we made it through. I live my uh, life on rough waters. I
0: live my life on rough waters, (laughs) Eric.
1: Rough waters and uh,
0: thin ice. Thin is ice, word? yeah. Well, in the winter, it's thin ice, and in the uh, summer, it's rough waters. <laughs> well, why don't, uh, why don't uh, Jack, you hit the music and... Uh, there we go. Fling whatever you usually fling here on a Sunday morning. Well, thank
1: you, Elton, and good morning, everyone. It, you know, I think this may be a first today, because today we're not going to a town or city. Uh-oh. We're going to an island. Oh. You mentioned... Mackinac. Yes. Mackinac Island. Oh, is really? Where we go I didn't
0: even know.
1: Mackinac Island, which has a very interesting history. Uh, the name actually is a French derivative of uh, the Native American uh, indigenous peoples that lived there really centuries ago, uh, initially calling it Michely Mackinac or Mackinac. And the French derivative it became Mackinac. The Listen origi- to you.
0: Listen to you speaking indigenous the, languages. The you know what
1: the original names mean? <laughs> no, big turtle. Ooh, because Ooh, the you island scared me there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> the island resembled a turtle, and of course, you know, they the French explorers uh, uh, were fascinated by our Great Lakes. Marquette and Joliet. Uh,
0: Marquette and Joliet. I played among Father. Them. I played Father Marquette in a in my first grade. Uh, play. Oh you did? I played Father Marquette, yes. Oh wow. Yeah.
1: I don't know if he made it to Mackinac, but there were a number of French explorers in through there, and of course it evolved uh over the years. There was a Fort Mackinac or Fort Mackinac that was uh actually part of the War of eighteen twelve. The British captured that fort. So there. should
0: we say Mackinac or should we no, say Mackinac? Mackinac. No, no, I understand that, but you're saying yeah. that the origins of it yeah. Our Mackinac. So should we right. go back to its original well, pronunciation? You or?
1: know the the uh, the French deris- derivative of Michigan. Uh, the original was Michigan, and that's it became Michigan as the as the French uh, evolved it. Yes, Mackinac is the preferred. Or as my Jewish
0: friends say, Mishagas.
1: <laughs> Mishagas. <laughs> but we know Mackinac <laughs> Island today as a marvelous destination, truly a getaway place, an absolutely beautiful place, no motorized vehicles on the island, there are no cars, there are no trucks, it's wow. all horses, bicycles... How, Et cetera. how
0: Amish of them.
1: And uh, not only that, we especially bring up Mackinac because some 250 boaters are on their way and getting close to uh, Mackinac Island because it is the 113th running of the race to Mackinac. They've been doing it since 1898
0: from Monroe Harbor and you started are you were on the press boat so this this started when then when did the race well
1: start? it, it starts in two phases it started it started Friday what's called the cruising class starts on Friday the racing class the bigger faster boats uh got underway yesterday despite the rough water we had four to five foot waves out there yesterday but yeah they were able to they were able to uh, get in position was and that out move.
0: by the crib?
1: Uh, it's of the crib, as Tom it,
0: always says. Tom Skilling. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. By it the it? crib, it's just south of Navy Pier. I don't know, know what Roll he's Harbor. talking about. What is this crib thing? Well,
1: that's that area there, Andy, isn't it? Just around that little nook there by Navy Pier, as
2: you go north, uh, oh. passing Lakeshore Drive. I thought the crib was at those little old buildings that were out there that used to be uh, water stations.
1: Ah, yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes, is that what it yes, is? is? Yeah, I yeah. think
2: those uh, old little concrete buildings that you see. I'm thinking of the, the playpen. That's the playpen that. over That's there, That's yeah.
1: the playpen, yes, okay. I should know this. Wow, I don't know what but the heck the... <laughs> you two are talking about right now. <laughs> but Monroe Harbor, area, an area there of uh, the uh, the older lighthouses, the Breakwater, you have to get past those in order to get out. But uh, they were able to make it. Some of the boats were damaged, though, uh, early on. Now, several boats had to retire,
0: as they say, ah.
1: because of damage and uh, couldn't get started very very disappointing all that time and money you know so when do
0: you think they will the 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 in the race when do you think the winner will get there
1: the winner uh could get there today ah. and um and they will uh, continue to move through uh today and uh tomorrow and really some of the le- final boats may not arrive until uh tomorrow afternoon but maybe a bit sooner because you've got some good windy conditions going on up there.
0: And, of course, uh, for you Seinfeld fans, you also know Mackinac from the famous episode with the Mackinac peaches. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mostly cloudy skies at Mackinac
1: Island today. 70 degrees going up for a high of 73. And fair winds and safe travels to all aboard.
0: Well, anchors away, Schwani. Thank you for that, uh, for that update. Wow, I had no idea that... Uh, That the the name went that far back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Interesting stuff. Yes. Speaking of interesting stuff, after the news, we will be here talking to, as we do every uh, Sunday with uh, with Dean when he's there, uh, talking to Dr. Kevin Most. Lots of things on the health uh, horizon, including our president has COVID. Wow. (laughs) Well, now I guess everybody has it. And so we'll be talking about the latest on COVID. Also, a little talk about the, the monkeypox um, uh, epidemic that is spreading so far. Some of the new um, medicines that are being uh, approved. And uh, your questions as well, if you have any about COVID. So the Dr. Kevin Most joining us after the news. But right now, let's take that news with Dave Schwan. Jim Toronto filling in for Dean Richards this morning. But listen anyway, as uh, Dean does every Sunday, it wouldn't be Sunday around 930, if uh, this guest wasn't uh, joining us,
3: doctor, doctor, give, me the news.
0: give us the news. Dr. Kevin Most, welcome to the show. Yep. Hello? Yes. Hello, Jim. Are you there? There he is. Sorry about that. I've uh, got 17 uh, different little knobs in front of me <laughs> here, but there's the knob for Dr. Kevin Most. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Good, good, good. So, wow, um, it's not every day that the president of the United States uh, catches COVID. So, uh, there's never a dull a dull moment in this pandemic, is there?
4: There isn't, Jim, I and mean, if if you look at it and say, "Gosh, you know," the leading legislator here in Illinois, Governor Pritzker, has right, COVID. Exactly, Not COVID. <laughs> I guess it's a kind of wake up for all of us that any of us can get covid
0: yeah and dr fauci recently got it so yeah i
4: mean this uh, these are
0: people that are uh, on the fronts making decisions for us informing us and uh, uh, taking you would think precautions and as and as you've talked over the last several weeks as many uh, precautions as you can take it looks like this b5 variant is certainly transmissible and
4: infectious Absolutely. You know, even though look at both of these individuals, when I talk about um, Governor Pritzker and President Biden, both of them fully vaccinated, fully boosted, fairly well protected, right. being tested all the time. So certainly it does show us exactly what you just said. Although we're, it's going to protect you from being hospitalized against severe illness, you can still get BA5, you know, regardless of your immune status.
0: And you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, President Biden took a lot of flack for fist bumping, when he went to Saudi Arabia and met with the crown prince. And now I wonder if he did that because he may have known that he might be
4: contagious. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> it got a lot of etiquette faux pas. Yeah. the right thing to do to a leader, but I guess it should be now a reminder to all of us, hey, let's be careful about who we're around because we don't know who has this. Yeah. We can certainly spread it.
0: Well, one of the things that uh, that I wanted to talk about, we we you know, it's interesting in the midst of even as you say, are are some of the the biggest leaders in our country here in our state as well as uh, the president of the United States have now come down with COVID, and at the same time, those same people, uh, especially here in the state of Illinois, Governor Pritzker, are still continuing to. To remove mandates and, and different restrictions and loosening things up, and it almost seems contradictory, doesn't it? In the face of how fast and quick B five um, uh, travels, should we should we
4: be loosening these restrictions, even though the the rates are raising or rising? Jim, yeah, Jim. You know, when we look at you know putting masking mandates back in place, which is going to happen in some states, there are probably three or four states now where this is very very high we still, even in Chicago and all the collar counties, are at the highest transmission rate level. So certainly, if we're not going to mandate it, we all should be at least thinking of it. If you're going to be in closed corners with people that you don't know, if you're going to be in large groups, think about it, because it's like we just said, anybody can get it. And, you know, although people say, well, you know, everyone that I know has had has mild symptoms, I'm sorry, but long COVID is still a possibility, and I'll tell you, nobody wants that. Well,
0: this is one of the things I wanted to ask you: is because there seems to be such a lackadaisical, laissez-faire attitude, and that's exactly the way people are walking around. Like, well, if I get it, I get it, or you know, I'd rather get it and get it over with. It's almost like a nuisance, <laughs> and yet, what what the, the great uh, the great mystery about this disease, and what's so uh, insidious about it, is that it doesn't affect two people the same way and you can't just casually say oh i'll get it and get over with it because you don't know if your body will uh you know react adversely or it will do some long-term damage and and long-term covid is something real and it really can have as its name implicates uh long-term serious health implications so just catching covid for the sake of it
4: um is still dangerous right Oh, absolutely. And you kind of hit on it, Joe. We're making a lot of comparisons to this and influenza. We start talking about the vaccine will be like influenza. You know, part of that message is great from a communication point, and part of it is terrible because now people associate it well, this is just the way things are going to be. We're going to have to learn to live with this. And certainly that may end up being the case. But like you just said, this is a disease that just doesn't, influenza boy, it's, it's aggravating if you ever had it, but it's almost all upper respiratory, congestion, aches fever, aches, fever, body aches, but it doesn't get into our heart. It doesn't get into our brain, and that's the part that people have to understand right now, that avoiding this illness as much as you possibly can is great. It may still be here, but boy, I would try to do everything to not get it.
0: And, uh, and now there are some, uh, some new vaccines that are being approved and, uh, and new ones being developed, hopefully in uh, in the fall as the new booster so hopefully we will be a little more protected moving forward
4: yeah and two things about the the two points that you just made there and i don't want to make sure that people don't miss the subtlety of it you know about 25 percent of this country has not been vaccinated at all we're still at that we're still at that rate huh 25 percent. wow and many many people feel that it's like they were that mrna vaccine they made it too quickly well, Novavax has just come out with a vaccine that's made in the traditional way. So two things about it. One, if you're, if you're afraid of mRNA, you can get this because it's not an mRNA vir- vaccine. But the other is, look how long it took a company to make this and right. think about what condition we would be in right now. If we hadn't had that vaccine,
0: right? It's been two and a half years. Yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, and uh, so so a lot of people are wondering about uh, you know boosters. Should I get one now? Should I wait till the fall? What do you think is the best uh, advice?
4: Yeah, I think if you're if you have any comorbidities, if you're over the age of sixty, I would certainly get it right now. Now, many people say, well, I just had Omicron uh, or I just had BA five okay, you're going to have some natural immunity for probably the next 30 or 60 days. But certainly I would get it, I think, in the fall. And it's probably going to be the late fall, more towards late October, early November. Hopefully we'll see a new booster come out that has not only the original COVID vaccine as a booster, but also will have a BA5 portion to it for better protection against that predominant strain.
0: And we still should be getting our flu shots, correct?
4: Absolutely. One hundred percent. You know, we were very fortunate that first year of of COVID uh, that flu essentially went away and two things happened there. Flu didn't go away. It just showed us that the mitigation things that we put in place stopped the spread of influenza. A very interesting study came out just this week about the importance of, believe it or not, influenza vaccine and the possibility of Alzheimer's and a link showing that people who have been vaccinated for influenza have a much lower chance of of getting alzheimer's so another just another wow. reason why we should get vaccine
0: for influenza. Wow, Doctor Kevin Mose, Northwestern Medicine Central DuPage Hospital, uh, with us today, talking about uh, COVID and other uh, health-related issues. Uh, after the break, uh, Doctor Mose, can we uh, talk about monkeypox? Because this is something that has been, uh, you know, sort of taken a back seat to some extent. But uh, as we're looking around the world, it is now becoming a global health emergency, and uh, so I think a lot of people have some questions about that that we can uh, we can touch upon as well. Jim Toronto filling in for Dean Richards this morning at WGN 720 AM. But listen anyway, we'll be back after this with Dr. Kevin Most. Jim Toronto, Elton Jim filling in for Dean Richards this morning. Have on the phone. Regular guest here on the Dean Richards show, Dr. Kevin
4: Most. Welcome to the show, Doctor. Good to be back, Jim. It's always nice seeing you working while Dean's, you know, lollygagging and taking the day yeah, off. Yeah,
0: I don't know. Dean is uh, MIA. Uh, we don't know where he is, what he's doing, but uh, hopefully he's enjoying it, whatever he is. So, uh, but I'm here, uh, manning the controls, and uh, glad to have you with us. We've been talking about uh, some of the latest COVID news over the last week, but uh, I did want to talk a little bit, and some people have some questions about um, the the monkeypox. Um, I, I don't, I don't think we're at pandemic at the point, but I just, de- I did see. A a crawl on the news that the it's now being called a a, a global health emergency. So where are we on on
5: monkeypox?
4: Yeah, you know it's good that the CDC is raising awareness for this because if not, it would continue to spread as it is. Now we all have to remember that monkeypox is nowhere near as virulent as you know causing major problems as COVID does. But certainly we need to know that it is spreading here in Illinois. I believe we just went over 200 cases. And the difficult thing about this illness, Jim, is it's got this really weird incubation period. So in other words, you will be uh, exposed to monkeypox. And for about one to two weeks, you're going to have just these weird symptoms, almost some of the symptoms similar to COVID, you know, fever, headaches, muscle aches. The rash that everyone's talking about and everyone's seeing does not come out until one to two weeks later. So because of that, it's very difficult to get your arms around it and to do contact tracing back to see where these uh, cases are coming and from. In the meantime, while someone doesn't even know
0: they have it, they could be spreading it, correct?
4: Well, you really won't spread it until you get the rash. Oh, So okay. that's probably one of the good things is the prodrome, that symptom, you know, the, the viruses in your body replicating, but not to a point where you're going to be exposing anybody because it's direct contact. So those lesions, those rashes, just have lots of virus, live virus on them, and that direct contact is what causes the spread.
0: Is there any connection to smallpox with a smallpox vaccine, or is this a completely different thing, or it just has the same name? (laughs)
4: <laughs> yeah, it just happens to have the same name. Yeah, Completely so this has different.
0: No yeah. connection to smallpox. Yeah. A smallpox vaccine wouldn't be working. We do know that around the world and around the country, the availability now of a monkeypox uh, vaccine is uh, is rising, and more cities are getting them. It is, it is becoming an epidemic uh, in some big cities and um, and uh, in certain uh, you know areas of uh, the city. It's becoming uh, a lot of talk about it happening in in the gay community, but it's certainly not uh, just considered only in that community where monkeypox is spreading, correct?
4: Correct. We've had a few pediatric cases. You know, the predominant cases are, uh, you know, individuals, men who have sex with men. That's where we're seeing the majority of these cases. But again, they can spread that by contact with anybody. So certainly we have seen pediatric cases. We've seen other cases that are not, you know, sexually related. So certainly a concern. And you make a very good point about the vaccine, right? Think about all these vaccine companies. They haven't been making monkeypox vaccine because we <laughs> right. haven't needed it, right? And certainly, their focus, with all their virologists, with all their team, has been on COVID and the COVID, the new COVID vaccines, and influenza. So. Now it's like, all right, take a portion of your company now and start making monkeypox vaccine. Because like you said, you know, there's certainly a shortage of it. You have many individuals that want to get vaccinated to stop the spread. And the vaccine's just not available. Do you think because
0: of covid, uh, I th- I would say, at least in general, the average person, if they're not well educated on uh, infectious diseases, we're certainly more aware of them. They have impacted many of our lives for the last couple of years. Do you think moving forward, because of, of what's happened with this pandemic, overall we will be learning more and hearing more of different viruses that may not have made news because they weren't affecting a lot of people, but now any time we hear of a new virus because of our, our COVID uh, awareness, uh, that that elevates the entire infectious disease category. And so do you think we'll be hearing a lot, a, a lot more in the future about um, new viruses that are around. They may not be as prevalent and, uh, you know, and as widespread and as dangerous as COVID, but we may be hearing about more just in general because now we're a little more aware of viruses in general?
4: Absolutely. I think, you know, and you hit on two kind of major points there. One is not only the public perception. I think we've all educated ourselves more about viruses and about the immune system and the importance of vaccines and how that works and how we can slow the spread. From a general public point of view, that's great. I think from a public health point of view, too, now, the world is much smaller. When we find viruses around the world now, it's so much more easy for us to not only train track those, identify those, but also start to put a game plan together for a vaccine that may be in Africa right now, but headed this way. So certainly, I think that the, probably one of the good things, I'll say, that came out of COVID was the increased awareness, not only from the public, but also from the public health.
0: We're going to go to the phones here. We've got uh, Mel on the line. Mel, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you for your
6: time, and I appreciate it. i got a second question here, and I'll try to make it real quick. Okay, 77 years old, got my uh, four Pfizer, so then I just wait in the fall for that uh, new booster.
4: Yeah, Mel, so if you've already gotten your two Pfizers plus your two boosters, you are fully protected right now as well as you can be. But again, you're 77, so I hate to tell you that, but you have one of those comorbidities that I would really try to protect yourself from getting the BA5. So you can see it like how President um, Biden is doing, certainly doing well. So, if you start to get the symptoms and if you start to feel that way, you can still get it. Make sure you get into your doctor because you'd be an excellent candidate for the Paxlovid medication that will shorten the duration and decrease this infection
2: okay also the 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 flu shot for me do
4: i i know it takes two weeks to kick in and last uh four months if that's if that's all true. Should I get that done around uh the thirty first or so around Halloween of uh October a little earlier or what Yeah, I'm a big fan of people getting vaccinated for influenza sometime in October. We know that influenza, historically, if you look long-range history, you're going to see it around Thanksgiving, Christmas, those times when we do a lot of travel and a lot of people are together. So you want to make sure that you are fully protected with that vaccine about two weeks before Thanksgiving. So certainly I tell anybody, please get it in October. Don't wait until you get on the airplane to go to visit loved ones in November. And that'll last four months. It'll last me through that uh, until about February or so, right? Absolutely. And the influenza, we feel that because we have it specific for the strains, one of two things happens. You're going to get protection through the entire year. We just have to hope that the vaccine that they chose is going to be the predominant virus strains that we see that year. So you're protected all the way through the next spring. We don't do boosters for influenza. So really, you, you will be protected. We just have to keep our fingers crossed that we've picked the right strains to put in that vaccine. Thanks a lot, Mel. We've got thank uh, you.
0: We've got Paulette on the line. Welcome to the show, Paulette.
3: Yes, thank you. I've been wondering. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a senior. I'm high risk on four counts, exceptionally careful with my mitigation habits. However, I don't know who I'm more frustrated with. People who are normalizing COVID you know, to the point where they're taking acceptable risks and the risks for others or the lack of response, or I don't hear anything particularly coming out from the CDC and especially the media. It's a, it's a non-issue at this point, and I don't know who's driving it. The CDC and the media, or, the, or people just thinking it's a non-issue, because it certainly isn't.
7: And yeah, uh, I Polit- am just,
3: I don't know. I just don't hear much from them. And I am a I am a news junkie, both regular and cable news, and I hear nothing coming from them about long COVID. And it's a big issue, even for children.
4: Yeah, Paulette. You know, so if we're going to talk about long COVID, certainly the CDC is trying to get their arms around it. And really, if you think about long COVID and the number of cases that we have, are still low. They're they're decent numbers, but they're not. It's not like eighty percent of people are getting this. But certainly. We're getting close to double digits, of, you know... Isn't it still
0: cases. It's still several millions of people, though, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's,
4: so that's still a, a
0: viable number to, to be worried.
4: Oh, 100%. <laughs> and so
0: well, now the,
3: last, the last thing a senior needs in their life, especially if they live alone and there's no one to take care of them, is to have another chronic health issue on top of what they're dealing with already. So long COVID is more, is more concerning to me than anything.
4: Absolutely, Paulette. And like you said, you're doing with four comorbidities, you're doing all the mitigation you can, which is great. Stay protected. Yeah, thank you, Paulette. There's a ton of work being done on long COVID. We just don't have enough data points now and enough information to to really make a media splash. Well,
0: you know, uh, my wife and I recently came back. We were uh, in uh, the U.K. a couple of weeks ago. And I'll have to tell you, to to Paulette's point, uh, we were in Heathrow Airport, which is one of the biggest airports in the world. And... uh, Hardly anybody was wearing a mask in the airport. Uh, my wife and I were that 's an eight hour flight from Chicago and back. we wore our masks the whole time on the plane, but we were in the in the huge minority of people wearing their masks on the flight so that was was still as Paulette says i Uh, I'm still wearing a mask when I go to the grocery store and when I go out uh, to anywhere where there's lodge people, airports, uh, you know, grocery stores, big stores, things like that. Uh, At the same time, uh, you know, last night I went out to dinner with some friends. We were outdoors. I know these people. I know they've been vaccinated. So I I felt a a high degree of of comfort there. But uh, I'm still being vigilant. And right. I mean, isn't that the message? We still need to be vigilant.
4: It is, Jim, and it's disappointing that you hear what happened in Heathrow. When you look at what's going on in the U.K. right now and the number of cases they have, the ability of people to be exposed at that airport and then go to many, many other places to continue the spread is very discouraging. Yeah.
0: Well, Doctor Kevin Most, as always, thank you for the update. Thank you for the information, and thank you for your service. We always talk about people uh, in the military serving us, and there's no question that uh, we appreciate that. But in the last couple of years, uh, I think the medical community deserves that same kind of uh, of uh, of thank you. So, thank you for uh, for helping us, uh, keeping us informed, and keeping us healthy. I really appreciate it.
4: You got it, Jim. You take care. Appreciate thank- the opportunity. Oh, it is
0: raining again, isn't it? Yes, it has been raining. But as Tom Skilling says the last few weeks, yeah, Micah, but we really need the rain. Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: It's not raining actually right now, looking out the uh, windows here at 303 uh, Wacker. Nice view of the um, Navy Pier Ferris wheel. Went to uh, Branson, (laughs) uh, Missouri a few years ago. And... uh, it's it's so kitschy. It's fantastic there. And uh, we're driving down the main drag and see all of a sudden this huge Ferris wheel popping out of nowhere in Branson and later find out it is our old Ferris wheel. Navy Pier got a new Ferris wheel a few years ago and Branson wound up buying that one and now... The old Navy Pier Ferris wheel that used to be there is now (laughs) a huge tourist attraction in Branson. So you're never far away from Chicago wherever you go. And hopefully you're never too far away from WGN 720 AM. Jim Toronto uh, filling in for Dean Richards this morning. And I wanted to talk to uh, sports guy here, uh, Andy uh, Mazur. I'm not sure how much... Here he comes. Of a racing fan you are.
2: Racer, he's
0: a yeah. On yeah. Neither. That, that, that's a you know, That's that, that's the
2: thing. You know, <laughs> that's it, about my reaction, it's the same Andy. Thing, it's the same thing when people ask me about soccer. I didn't grow up playing it. <laughs> exactly. And I never really understood it. I mean, I appreciate it. Right. I appreciate the motorsports as well, but I, did, I I've never been a huge, huge fan.
0: Yeah. And even though uh, we're so close to Indy here for the Indianapolis 500, it it never seemed to 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 cross the border for me. And, and really become something that I would watch every year, you know on television, things like that, but uh I just wanted to uh to talk about a few little interesting yeah. not only sports related but civic related kind mm-hmm. of issues with you, so uh, yeah, so in the midst of uh watching the news the last uh, week or so, and seeing that now, as I said we 've got late night drag racing in yeah. Chicago, which is very scary, you thought I was talking earlier about sketching, you think that's dangerous. This 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 drag racing thing. I hope that doesn't become a a usual Chicago event. But um, in the midst of that, it was, it's funny how on the on the heels of we seeing this this terrible drag racing video, then a couple days later, uh, Mayor Lightfoot announces that uh, Chicago is going to host a NASCAR race, but not on an oval, not no. on a
2: on a contained no, area. No, 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 no. But on the streets of
0: Chicago.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, oh. NASCAR obviously wants to get into the big markets, and they want to get into L.A. and Chicago and, and New York, and you know, they they have some races in the outskirts of, of Chicago and the outskirts of New York and the outskirts of L.A., but not really in the cities proper. And this is a good idea for, for NASCAR and you know for the city as well because it'll bring some people in that maybe not uh, wouldn't have visited before.
0: Okay, but Andy, do you drive on Lakeshore Drive? Oh, I do. Yeah, okay, so I do, do I. I have. I was when I was doing my play recently. I, that's where it was on, in in the Edgewater neighborhood. So but I these are all drivers that know what they're doing. Yeah, I understand that. But did you see? But you, wait, so I mean, are have you seen the condition of Lakeshore Drive? Yeah. Well, maybe this will lead to getting it <laughs> repaved. <laughs> and what about the sewers? Like, are they going to have to like repave? Or I mean, it, it just seems that you know, sometimes driving on Lakeshore Drive in some of these areas downtown, you almost feel like you're on a race track. True. Anyway, very true. Um, I'm just wondering about the safety of it. I mean, when you drive down Lakeshore Drive, even though I'm, I assume the S curve there is not going to be a part of it. I right? hope not. Yeah, but still, it's it's not it's not just it's not worry free. It's not a carefree drive. You, you you do have to pay attention, and and there's car. I mean, I like you said. I you know, it's 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 drivers that know what they're doing as yeah. opposed to what we're used to. But it, I don't know. This it seems gimmicky to me. I, I don't know.
2: It is a little gimmicky. You know, they they did this. Uh, I believe it was a 2019 in in Los Angeles at the Coliseum. They they had the parking lot available, and they did a they did a race in the parking lot. Uh, you know, probably more traditional, uh, not an oval, but at least, uh, you know, you were in the same vicinity the entire time. It, it didn't go through the streets of downtown L.A. This is a little different concept, obviously. It's not just going to be Lakeshore Drive, Michigan Avenue, uh, Columbus as well. And yeah, the, like Grant Park Grant area. Grant Park yeah. and Buckingham Fountain. And, you know, it's, it, it's if if it's done right, it's going to be a really good look for the city. And if it's done right, it's going to be a really big thing for NASCAR. And that's that's kind of what they're hoping for in this case because it is so different. You know, here here we are, we're not even talking about the race for a couple of years yet, and right. and we're talking about it right now. Because, because
0: it'll be what? It's, it'll be like next July, so a year yeah, from now, right? right? Yeah, 2023, right. And, you know, in all fairness, uh, you know, having major races like that in a city is nothing new. And Paris, isn't that where the Grand Prix is? Yeah, I
2: mean, you know, they, they have a... This is done a lot, but this is done a lot with IndyCars, too. I mean, uh, the IndyCars rather than the NASCars. IndyCars will do the, those road races, Formula One races, and you know, they won't be in uh, traditional oval type tracks, you know, which is what, you know, what NASCAR is more known for. Uh, so yeah, it's a little stepping out for for them as well, stepping out for the city, and and uh, we'll see how the fans respond to it. I think that's you know, there's been a lot of a lot of questions, obviously, but there's been a lot of positive buzz about it um, in the fact that it is so unique. And it's happening here. I mean, it's happening in the city. And I mean, you know, t- you know, it's certainly,
0: as you said, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a tourist thing. I'm sure that all uh, they, I, what I've been reading, they've been doing a lot of safety uh, kind of, uh, you know, checks and 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 simulations. So clearly, they're not going to do anything that is going to to be a danger to both the public as well as the drivers. So I mean, but you never know. I mean, that's 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 the the uncertainty of any kind of a race. We see that on a daily basis uh, when you watch these races. These cars are flipping over sometimes and they are drivers as you said earlier yeah. who know what they're doing exactly. and even and even that there's a danger aspect to it so i'm keeping my fingers crossed that uh, that this goes off without a hitch but um there certainly is a uh, a danger aspect there it just seems to me that um we're in an election year mm-hmm. and so uh there's been more negative than positive things that's been going on in this city over the last couple of years and i'm just wondering is mayor lightfoot looking for some good news to run on and, and making these announcements because... And another thing I want to talk to you about, which is right in the same thing. So about, what, three or four weeks ago uh, is a last-ditch effort, which I think it, this was just... I don't even know, and I'd like to get your insights on mm-hmm. The idea of of possibly still keeping the Bears by putting a dome on the uh you know the embarrassment on the lake yeah. some people call it soldier field uh, i don't call it that anymore um is this a last ditch kind of once again election year uh oh well at least we
2: did what we could kind of thing or do you think there's any
0: real possibility they would ever put a dome on
2: that? well there's a lot to, to, uh, to digest there. let's go back in history here real quick too because you know, when the Bears redesigned Soldier Field back in 2002 and 2003, when it, when it opened again, because I remember driving to Champaign every other weekend. Right. Go, oh yeah, when the Bears were football, playing. Right. Yeah. That was a whole lot of fun. But uh, <laughs> anyway, you know, they had an opportunity. I'm sure it was presented to them to have a retractable kind of a dome and to do uh, do something where they wouldn't have to, uh, you know, slash the seating capacity to the absolute lowest in the NFL. Exactly. The third largest city in the in the entire country. Has the has the le- least amount of seats available to it in its football stadium, where everybody will tell you this is a Bears town, right? I mean, oh, no Cubs, question. Sox, Bulls, right. whatever, no. Blackhawks, no. doesn't matter. This is the this is a Bears town. So I'm not sure what the discussions were at that point with the with the Park District, but I always remember them saying this: we wanted to keep the integrity, quote unquote, integrity. Of Soldier Field, which meant the columns and the actual oh, structure of it. Those columns. So oh. the, the columns really kind of messed everything up there. No kidding. Because, you know, take
0: those columns out, move yeah. them to, to Millennium Park where someone will see them because nobody sees them over in Soldier Field except for the eight games a year that yeah. the, the Bear
2: fans go there and and build a real stadium like yeah. you said they should have done. See, there was, no for, there, was no, there was no foresight because a couple of years after they opened up the, the new Soldier Field, there was a, a mandate from the league that said, okay, we're going to start allowing cold-weather cities to host Super Bowls, Right. But you have to have a minimum seating capacity of 70,000. And I think that's even gone up since uh, since then as well. And in January in Chicago, you better have a dome. Well, not even that, just that. You have to have the seats. They, they, they slashed 5,000 seats from the original con- configuration of it. Ugh. So again, I wasn't privy to any of those discussions that were going on, but you would think that back in 2002 that they would have had a little foresight to say okay well you know a retractable dome would be great because okay it's bare weather woof 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 whatever, you know keep the roof oh, I'm so their, tired of the bare weather keep thing the, <laughs> none if, of it, the bears players live in chicago <laughs> if it's a big deal you keep the roof open during a game who cares exactly. but you close it when you want to have the final four you close it when you want to have garth brooks you you close it when you want to have you know big big events exactly but you know this whole thing now with uh with the the dome being placed over soldier field i, I really oh. i really believe and again, I'm not a political analyst by any stretch of the imagination, and I, I barely pay attention to, to a lot of it just because it's just it's mind-numbing to me at times. Yeah. But I, I think the mayor kind of got blindsided by the fact that she thought this was a, bl- a big bluff by the Bears. This is not a bluff. It's no bluff. No. This, this is, is not, no bluff. Because no, they're, they're one of the only teams in the league that don't own their own stadium, yeah. too.
0: Well, and not only that, but 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 not only should they own their own stadium, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, my point is the Bears are a legacy Team in this league. Yeah. George Halas was one of the founders of the NFL. If anybody should be playing in a beautiful, state-of-the-art uh, dome or or stadium, it's the Chicago Bears. They should not be playing at the same stadium where where high school kids yeah. play football, yeah. where the turf comes up. No, it's awful.
2: Yeah, and you know, there, there was an article I read, and I can't remember who wrote it, and I think it was a couple of years ago when uh, this was even being discussed again. A couple of years ago that uh, George Halas himself had plans to move the Bears to the suburbs oh, yeah. in the 70s. Yeah, uh, And Soldier Field was supposed to be a temporary home, and uh, that temporary home has now lasted 51, uh, this will be 53, 53- Two years. Well, and then for the, the Bears. problem,
0: and the problem with that was back in the seventies too. You had uh, the first mayor, J- Daley, uh, Richard J. Daly, and when that when they were floating that idea, they were actually going to go to Arlington Heights.
2: Yeah, Arlington Heights was the was the place they were going to go. And you know, uh, obviously George Hallis had some had some high, uh, f- foresight and wanted to get you know their own building and being able to do what they wanted to do in that building. You know, I don't think well, I'm sure people long longtime Chicagoans get the fact that the Chicago Park District basically. Runs the the facility, and the reason that they went from the uh, the uh, the old astroturf to regular grass again was because the park district decided to do that. Uh, field turf would be so much better over there at the on the lakefront, but they they haven't done it. There's a whole bunch of situations with the water table there. The there every kicker you talk to, right? <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Gold just came out the other day, the former Bears kicker and said it was one of the top five worst places oh. he ever, ever had to kick. That's his home stadium. He was kicking there eight times a year. Well the old the old Mayor Daly, the problem with that was
0: where that was almost died on the vine, like I said, fifty years ago, was the old Mayor Daly said to the Hallis family, which was is ridiculous, but it, it but it got play back then. Well, if you move to Arrington Heights, then you can't use the name Chicago. Well they don't own the name Chicago. Yeah, exactly. First of all. But but somehow that got currency yeah, and, and that, and that kind of quashed that even before it got pushed away. And like you that 50 years later, this potentially holding cell mm-hmm. has been our home.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there's there's a whole lot of talk about that again with the not using Chicago. And I'll just say, look at the New York Jets and the Giants. They play in New Jersey. Oh, uh, the you
0: know, 49ers play in Santa Clara. In Santa it's 45 Clara. minutes away yeah, from, it's from, from way San outside
2: It's uh, way outside of the downtown areas. There's not a lot of downtown uh, football stadiums at this point because they're, they're looking for land. They're looking to develop land around it. And, you know, that's exactly what the Bears have. Uh, at their fingertips right now in the in the uh, Arlington Park situation, they have yeah. 326. What I mean, I can't remember what the what the actual yeah. number so was. Crazy, it's, yeah. it's, it's a huge amount of acreage. Yeah, that the the stadium will just be a little small, a little uh, speck on that. And think about where your fan base is located. I mean, there's a lot of people that live in the northern suburbs, in the northwestern suburbs, that have a heck of a time getting down here. Because of the congestion on Lakeshore Drive, the fact that the parking oh, lots the are parking, so parking they small could build their own here. parking.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is it is such a no brainer. And it, I it is. And I,
2: I I give the Bears a lot of credit yes, because you know exactly. what? this is this is not something that we have seen from the Bears organization in a long, long time where they make a bold move. You know, they they say, okay, listen, okay, we're we're going. Uh, whether you believe us or not, we're going, and I think everybody eventually will be okay with it because of what they you know. Hope, now again. The league is going to step in here because the league's ownership, uh, all the owners of the other various teams have really been pushing the Bears to move because of the oh. the fact that they're going to, the other owners will stand to make a lot of money right. from revenue and gates and, and, and concessions and things of that nature. Uh, and I believe that the league usually will step in and say, okay, here's X amount of dollars towards your new stadium out in somewhere where you can build your own facility and not have to share it with the fire and you know, no, no offense to the fire they, no, that's great but, for them yeah, they, they, they right. love playing there and no offense to the rugby sevens that no. come in there and no but offense the to bears should be playing in, but it should be the bears place <laughs> the you know bears should
0: be playing in a state-of-the-art place like dallas or some of these places it should not be yeah. run like a second market team right it is a major market and as i said before it is one of the legacy uh you know teams and it's a charter franchise yes of yeah. this league and it should be run top notch and the other side too if you remember the reason why that became such a half-baked idea when they were redoing it and it was done so quickly and it got pushed through if you remember uh the bears in 2001 or 2002 i can't remember went 13 and 3
2: yeah and they went to the playoffs and, and they lost right. to the eagles and as soon as the game was oh. over i was in the press box as soon i was in the press box covering that game as soon as that game was over the north seats were being ripped out and the, the, and right away the uh George, michael mccaskey who was the president at the time he brought the model
0: I mean, it was, you know, the model of the of the of the you know yeah. the architectural model. I mean, that thing came out within seconds after that game. Yeah. They wanted to push that you know renovation, and I think they wanted to do it once again on the cheap. You know, to get you know the 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 state or the city to pay for it, and it's like, yeah. no, no, no. You know, do it right because we do so many things half baked here, and that is the biggest glaring example. I had a friend of mine who just came into town last week, and he was on a bus tour, and he saw soldier food. He goes, "What the
2: heck is that? Yeah, it looks worse up close oh. than it does on television." Yeah. Uh, you know, basically what the Bears did, and you can't blame them at this point because Soldier Field was lacking skyboxes and lacking a lot of uh, areas where the the Bears could make some money. They did it right in the skyboxes, uh, but well, they yeah. did not
0: do it right everywhere else. Yeah, well, but the players and the and the majority of fans don't play in the skyboxes. Exactly,
2: <laughs> but that that's the, that was the big yeah. the big money thing, you know. And as far as the dome this year uh, and what what everybody's talking about, I, I've seen some studies. Uh, I've read some things about how how the support beams. Oh yeah, and, yeah. It, it would, would cost actually, four to
0: five hundred million dollars. Well,
2: Not just that, but the the length that you need width wise. From the lake no, west would end up being would have columns on Lakeshore Drive. Yeah, I mean
0: it's it's just
2: so it's have just, your NASCAR race around the polls, <laughs> and then you can have uh, you can have uh, some adventures driving normally on the way home with the with sport beams.
0: Yeah, I just think these are two issues that Mayor Lightfoot is trying to to, to you know in, in an election year. I mean it's not she's not even run this year, but she's officially announced. It just seems like in the midst of all the crime and all the other things that are going in the city, she's trying to to in you know get sports fans. And, yeah. and stuff like that and it's like you know what uh between the nascar thing you know fingers crossed it sounds gimmicky but it might work but the soldier Field thing forget about it it's a dead issue yeah the bears are going i i only keep my fingers crossed that the bears don't screw this up i
2: don't think they will i think i think they're they're, they're getting very very good guidance by not just the the national football league itself but the other owners around i mean Jerry Jones, uh, love him or hate him, he's a very influential owner and has, has a lot to uh, a lot of cachet in the National Football League. Uh, Stan Kroenke, who uh, who built the the SoFi Stadium uh, in uh, in Los Angeles, where they had the Super Bowl, and his Rams just won, right. uh, won everything. So, I, I mean, uh, the, those are the kind of people that are, are saying, all right, look. Look at what we were able to do. with SoFi Stadium opened in 2020, and they had a Super Bowl already. Right, yeah. So fingers crossed, because yeah. we deserve a Final Four here. We deserve a Super Bowl, and we deserve
0: a world-class stadium. I Thanks. agree. Thanks so much, Andy. I appreciate your insights. Yep. Jim Toronto filling in for Dean Richards this morning at 7.20 a.m. But listen, anyway, we'll be back after this. No switching. Jim Torano at WGN seven twenty a.m. filling in for Dean Richards this morning. But listen anyway. Oh, there is no business like show business. This is one of the great things about Chicago's cultural scene is its theater community. And not only do we have some of the most respected uh, theater groups in the world, not just the country, like the Goodman and Steppenwolf, um, but uh, what really makes the Chicago theater community vibrant and uh, and bold and adventurous and literally respected around the world is it's smaller theater groups that uh, are sprinkled all across the city uh, in in small venues and in um, storefront theaters and uh, I personally was just in a uh, in a show uh, that just closed a, about a month or so ago uh, in a storefront and I have to say it was one of my my most uh, exciting and, uh, and most fulfilling uh, theater experiences that I've acted in. And um, I just saw a play uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, not only is, is it the show worth talking about, that is by a new theater company here in Chicago, uh, actually playing at the same theater that I played at, the Invictus Theater uh, at 1106 Thorndale in Chicago in the uh, Edgewater area. Uh, but uh, a new theater group playing there. Uh, but not only is the show worth talking about, but there's a backstory as how this show uh, got all put together. And so I want to do a welcome to the show on our theater segment today, which is sponsored by the TheChicagoShakes.com. Become a subscriber. I want to talk to uh, Lindsay Zanata, who is the producer and actress of a production of a uh, Tennessee Williams play called Summer and Smoke. Welcome to the show, Lindsay.
7: Hi Jim, thanks for having me.
0: Well, I just wanted to uh, to let people know about your show. This is, there's, not only is this uh, it's a it's a, a Tennessee Williams. Everybody knows uh, "Streetcar Named Desire" and and had a, a cat on a hot tin roof and uh, "Sweet Bird of Youth," but uh, "Summer and Smoke" is a not as well known Tennessee Williams mm-hmm. play, but it's certainly a worthy Tennessee Williams play. What, what got you excited about uh, putting this thing on?
7: Uh, I would say that it's my favorite Tennessee Williams play. It's, um, one that I worked on in an acting class many years ago, six or seven, maybe. Um, and what's funny about it is I initially did not like the play. I didn't like the character that I was playing (laughs) in this class. (laughs) I, um, I thought to myself, what does this acting teacher think about me that she's assigned me this character? Um, But the more that I worked on it, the more I saw myself in this character. And I I could identify why it was that she also saw me in this role. And so since then, I have wanted to work on this show, this role specifically. And um, I just kept hoping that somebody in Chicago would produce it and invite me to audition. Um, But I knew in the back of my mind that the chances of that were very slim. And the chances of me getting cast in it. Were even slimmer, and so I started to think about producing it myself in 2020 uh, when everything, you know, we <laughs> all had all time on our hands. <laughs> Good timing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that's when I started looking into it. Well, what ins- I kind of- yeah
0: I mean what, a, what an inspiring story uh, everybody who 's an actor, myself included, we always have these dream roles, and like you were saying, mm-hmm. we always hope, oh my gosh, we ho- I hope that some theater does this play and then and then, to your point, then the next level, okay, if they are doing it, oh, I hope that I get cast in the role that I want, and mm-hmm. so rather than I hope I hope, I wonder, I wonder, uh, you took the the bulls by the horn and you uh, you founded your own. A theater group called the uh, violet sky and uh you said i'm not waiting anymore for someone to do this i'm not going to wait anymore for a director to cast me gosh darn it i'm putting this on myself and so you are not only the lead actress in this uh this current production which is playing in fact there's a a, a performance uh, today at uh, what three mm-hmm. o'clock correct
4: 3 o'clock,
0: yes. And then the last four shows, uh, next Thursday through Sunday. And we'll give that information there. But, um, so before we talk about the actual show, because I certainly want to, tell people about the, 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 great job that you do as well as your cast. But so give me the backstory. So, okay. Now you, you planned this in your mind that you want to maybe do this. How the heck do you start to, pro- to, to start a, a theater company and to produce a show since you've never done this oh, before? Man
7: you know what, the first step was actually saying it out loud to other people, um, (laughs) which was scary. And also, I wasn't sure that it would ever actually even happen. But then I started asking people around me for advice, other theater makers, producers and directors. And um, I got a lot of support and people kind of holding my hand throughout the process and helping me figure out, okay, well, now you need a website. Oh, now you need to figure out where you're going to sell tickets, you know, all of those little things that you don't think about outside of the actual production itself and And, and, i just started asking oh go ahead yeah go ahead i was gonna say i started asking um people if they wanted to be a part of the project you know uh, designers and things and um people started saying yes and the ball just kept rolling and i thought to myself i'm going to keep moving forward until i hit a wall until i get to a place where i have to just pull the plug on the whole thing and then then i'll pull the plug and it just never happened
0: yeah. And and so now uh, so, so to your point, so now here's a role as an actress that you always wanted to play. Uh, mm-hmm. But now you've added this other title, which uh, is filled with you said with a lot of de- details and minutiae and and all, you know, if somebody has a question, they come to you. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, in terms about all this this back, you know, behind the scenes kind of stuff, um, was it difficult to to juggle this new area of being a producer of a, of a play as well as then focusing and learning your lines at the same time uh, to, to do a great job on this role that you've been dreaming about doing your whole life?
7: Yes, um, it was difficult, but I will say the hardest part was probably just conquering my own self-doubt, believing that I could do it. Um, that was probably the biggest mountain I had to climb, and the farther I got down the road, the more I realized I'm doing it. I am doing it. Um, the, line, the line memorizing wasn't as hard as I thought it would be, because I've read the play so many times, and I just, so that came pretty quickly, and the producer side of it was a little more challenging, but the help along the way is what got me there and um it's been a very empowering
0: experience and 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 it's very inspiring but it's also very brave when you see that in the last two years since covid that so many theaters and especially theater groups have gone out of business and yet in the midst of that uh you know environment you are actually (laughs) starting your business i mean wow that that is Um, that takes some guts my friend
7: it sounds crazy when you say it like that
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and let's and let's talk brass tacks too uh yeah there's a lot of inspiration there's a lot of creativity and there's a lot of support uh but there's also money issues uh mm. how does how does that play in uh you have to raise money do you invest money i mean how do you get your hands around that
7: well that uh i did start with a little bit of fundraising asking friends and families for some money that got me started and um some of my own money and then of course ticket sales is the final piece of that puzzle which we're still we're still waiting to see how that's going to go so <laughs> if you check back in in another week i'll let you know <laughs> where we ended up <laughs> so 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 uh,
0: on a, on a daily basis uh, are do are you are you finding yourself becoming? Uh, I would assume, and I've only met you a few times, but uh, I mean, I assume you're more on the creative side. Is this business side something that you that uh, it comes easy to you? Do you have background in that, no. or are you learning? Uh- <laughs> not,
7: not at all. I have no business mind. I have no idea about running a business, managing people. I've had to just learn it as I go. Um, <clears throat> I will say it's been um, I've been better at it than I thought I would be. Am I? probably am probably not the person i would put in charge of running a theater company but um i think i've 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 made it work
0: well don't sell yourself short because mm-hmm. without knowing any of that uh, any of your lack of experience uh when mm-hmm. i saw the play a, a, a couple of weekends ago uh let me just tell you as an audience member uh, there were no signs that this was either a a first production by uh, this company, or that this was uh, you know I don't know what I'm doing. it was it was top notch in terms of the production value from the from the audience standpoint. Uh, my tickets, you know you're worried about tickets and all that. My tickets were fine there was no, no your, your website worked fine. I got my tickets fine. I got in fine. I sat down uh, production wise, the people that you that you've put together for your uh, your production team. Uh, did a great job set wise, costume wise, the actors you put together, obviously the director you found. So, let me just tell you, and I'm not just trying to blow, uh, you know, wind up your skirt here. There was no way that, as an audience member, I would have said, "Oh wow, well, I'll, I'll give them a break because it's their first play." No, this, this, this mm-hmm. felt as well put together and professionally uh, presented as as any kind of uh, show that i've seen uh, certainly uh, you know in the in the in the smaller kind of uh, uh, theater community so you you sure you really shouldn't uh, sell yourself short
7: thank you jim that really means a lot to me i'm very proud of the show and where we ended up
0: and what's interesting, uh, you know, as I said before, uh, and we'll talk about, we'll take a break here, but after the break we'll talk about the actual production, because I I would love for people to go out and see this. Um, what's really, was fun for me is, uh, I'm a fan of Tennessee Williams, and like you said, you know, like we talked about before, there's, you know, the well-known streetcars and... Uh, And Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I had heard of this play, but I'd never seen it, had no idea about it. And so it was really fun to go to see a play by such a well-known writer and yet walk in uh without really knowing anything about it or what was going to happen so so that was an interesting kind of treat for you to pick a play instead of you know a, it would have been easy for you for your first play to to get those ticket sales to 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 choose a play that would be very well known and have marquee value and people would want to come to see it and instead once again um i don't know if it's if, if you're just uh if you're just uh you know you've got this this interesting kind of i'm just going to do what i want to do kind of attitude but here you are picking a very unknown play by tennessee williams to become one of your first thing another contradiction so uh so once again wow you took a lot of risks but so far uh it seems like uh you know you you've come up sevens
7: yeah yeah uh i uh i was excited at the idea of doing a play that maybe people weren't familiar with um and introducing uh a new work not new work, but maybe new to some people of Tennessee Williams, because many people know his his big ones. And so it's been really fun. Many people after the show have said that to me as well. Like, I didn't know this play, but I love it. Oh, this is such a good script. and like, yes, it is. And so I love that. I find that very rewarding to introduce something to people that they weren't familiar with before.
0: Well I'm talking to, to uh, I'm talking to Lindsay Zanata who is the uh for for part one of the interview she's the producer of a play right now playing at the uh, Invictus Theater in Chicago at 1106 Thorndale. Uh the play is Summer and Smoke by Tennessee Williams. She's the producer of that in her Violet Sky Productions. When we come back after the break now um if you wouldn't mind when uh Lindsay can you take uh, your producer hat off and put your actress hat on? Sure and, and, love to. and we'll talk now uh, <laughs> after the break about uh, the play itself and uh, and how you brought this character named Alma to life. Uh, really, uh, a, a very moving performance. Jim Toronto filling in for Dean Richards this morning. We're in the midst of our theater segment. We'll be back after this. No switching. Jim Toronto, Elton Jim, filling in for Dean Richards this morning. We are in the midst of our theater segment here on the show. Oh, Ethel oh, business light. Light. no business like no business. Oh you gotta love Ethel. <laughs> but right now we're loving uh Lindsay Zanata, who is the producer and lead actress of a production here in Chicago of the Tennessee Williams play Summer and Smoke. And uh Lindsay, I wanted to talk about the show itself. We were talking about Lindsay's backstory in terms of how she decided to become a producer because she wanted to play this role of Alma in uh, Summer and Smoke so bad that she just didn't want to wait for someone to cast her or put the show on, but actually uh, do the show herself. But now I'd like to talk about the the actual play itself. And, um, and Lindsay, I could see why you've wanted to play this uh, this role for a long time, because in many ways, uh, this role is like the Hamlet for females, right?
7: Mm, it's certainly up there. Tennessee Williams has written um, many powerful uh, and somewhat jaded, maybe, women, but um, <laughs> the, Alma is my favorite. Yep.
0: How would you describe uh, Summer and Smoke? How would you describe the play and the action?
7: Uh, Summer and Smoke, I would say, is um, a play about body versus soul at the at the heart of it it's the physical versus the ethereal um you have the heat of summer and the this intangible nature of smoke so you have these two main characters alma and john who each kind of embody uh, one of these elements alma is very spiritual she lives uh, in a religious home she's very much cares about what people think about her and her outward appearance and she's very detached from her body and her physical self and then you have John who's kind of the opposite he is um, very in control of his physical nature maybe not in control maybe that's a better way to say it. he's <laughs> yeah, very right. in touch with his physical nature and he doesn't really care about souls and religion and you know what comes after this life and um, so he's constantly indulging his physical senses and Alma is at the opposite
0: end of that spectrum. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it, 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 in the um, it was written around the same time as uh, as Streetcar, I believe, and uh, it is in the in the tradition of Tennessee Williams, kind of that Southern Gothic, uh, uh, you know, com, uh, you know, uh, atmosphere and environment. Uh, it's got life, it's got lust, it's got disappointment, it's got. Uh, some great dialogue um, from your standpoint uh, as an actress. As I said, uh, having just done uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and playing George and being on stage uh, for the majority of a three hour show, in the same respects, uh, this is uh, about a two and a half hour show or so, and uh, you are rarely off stage.
7: Yeah, I think there's only a couple of moments where I'm not on stage. <laughs> it's quite an undertaking.
0: <laughs> and we should say that uh, in addition to. Uh, to Lindsay Zanata in the in the cast uh her co-star is uh, is Joshua J Volkers who plays John and there's also Chuck Monroe and Deborah Rodkin and uh, Selena Lopez Jill Shoemaker uh Reed O'Connell Mike Rogalski, Hannah Beth Mitchell, Sasha Retschler, Johnny Garcia, and Reginald Hemphall. And I must say, you, uh, you've really put together a fine cast, and uh, the play is uh, also directed by uh, Eden Blattner, and she certainly picked some really good people to play some key roles. And um, so I'm just, uh, I'm wondering, uh, in terms of, of now, this was a dream that you had, uh mm-hmm. you you worked to to produce this show to put it on to put all the the creative aspects together now it's been playing it opened um, uh, a few weekends ago in January on uh, july third it it runs through july thirty first as I said before at the Invictus theater, which is at eleven o six uh north Thorndale in Chicago right near the red line um and so I guess now the question is um was it worth it oh
7: absolutely absolutely. I I wouldn't take it back for anything. Even if I don't come out ahead on the financial aspect (laughs) of it, it's still absolutely worth it. It's been even more um, wonderful than I ever could have imagined. And that's in large part due to the people um, that I've worked with. The other people in the cast, the people on the production team have all been fantastic and made it such a, a wonderful experience. Getting to play Alma is... Um, uh, has been life-changing but it's been the people that have um, made the bigger difference
0: and as i said it was so great as an audience member it was that uh, i wasn't familiar with the play and my gosh i never saw the ending coming and like most tennessee williams plays uh, it does, it's not a happy ending it's not a sad ending there's there's some hope but there's also a question of what the future may bring and so you walk out there really thinking about it and uh, and the show stays with you and i must say that uh you really give a tour de force um performance and uh you've gotten some great reviews for this so congratulations uh, on both sides as so which 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 uh which which title do you prefer now uh producer or actress Mm -hmm. which comes first now
7: it would
0: have to remain actress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you—you you certainly. I—I I, I first met Lindsay about uh, two or three months ago. She was a scene partner of mine when I was auditioning for uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, uh, and for during my callback audition, never met her before. But uh, I have to just say thank you because. As an actress, we never met each other. We 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 didn't do anything beforehand. We just walked into the room at the same time, and uh, and you really gave so much to me, which I was I think was able to put my best foot forward, and uh, and and got cast. And as I said, I was in one of the best um, theater experiences I have ever had. So thank you for being such a, a great scene partner.
7: Be- oh, because thank you, Because you made nice. one of my dreams. I enjoyed dreams. reading with you
0: yeah my one of my dreams come true too so please go to see summer and smoke uh, plays today at three o'clock and then uh, performances next thursday through sunday the last four performances it's at the uh, invictus theater at uh, 1106 thorndale how do people get tickets Lindsay?
7: you can get tickets by going to our website which is um, uh, violetskytheater.com but theater with an r-e the the traditional way (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay well a uh, break a leg uh, today and for the rest of the shows Jim Toronto here at WGN 720 a.m Elton Jim filling in for Dean Richards this morning uh, but listen anyway hopefully you have been here since nine. it's about uh, 11 almost 1110. 11, we've got two more hours to go. Coming up now, we're going to talk to uh, Mick Kaler in the Pop Culture Club about a variety of topics. Later in the show, we'll be talking to author Tom Stanton, who has written um, extensively about baseball. We just had the baseball all-star game this past week, along with the home run derby. So baseball's best was on display. I just wanted to talk to Tom about um, not only the second half of the season, but the state of baseball. Baseball really isn't the national pastime anymore. The question is: Is baseball's time past? So we'll talk about that with Tom Stanton. And then about twelve thirty, uh, we're going to talk to the director of astronomy from the Adler Planetarium. Some just—I don't even know how to describe them: breathtaking, uh, awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping photos were released a couple of weeks ago from the James Webb telescope that was sent out into space on Christmas, I believe, and the first images of some parts of the galaxy and the universe and the solar system, whenever you want to call it out there, the great black world that lives outside of the Earth. Some amazing photos sent back to show just how much we don't know about space and where we are and who we are and what we are and so we'll talk about all the implications of what these new photos may uh may bring us in terms of knowledge about science and the galaxy and the universe and also about ourselves so lots on tap still for the next couple of hours to go but right now uh we go to the phones and welcome mick kaler to the show welcome mick Good morning, pal. How you doing? Very good. We should mention that uh, for you, that if the name Michaeler sounds familiar, may have heard it over the last 20 years or so. He's been involved in radio. He's a veteran who produced shows for some of the biggest names in Chicago radio over the last 20 or 30 years, including Larry Lujak, Robert Murphy, and of course was a staple also at uh, US 99 for many years. Now you can hear his work uh, pretty regularly uh, on the WGN Morning News. Uh, he and his uh, his partner al flash write parody songs that are often played uh during the uh wgn morning news uh, We got anything uh in the uh, in the hopper we should be looking out for uh one of your uh your, your latest productions
8: yeah, we sure do. We got the Lollapalooza update because of Lollapalooza coming up this week, and uh, the song we have done in the past is going to be played again. And then next week, uh, with Elton John playing that Soldier Field show, which may be his quote last show in some time, uh, we got a parody in the works for that, and other things going on too. We're always working on
0: stuff. Uh, wait, wait. There's no parodies about Elton. You, you don't, you don't touch the sacred music, my friend. <laughs> Uh, we did. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> which song? Which song? Which song are you using? Can you just give me a little hint?
8: Uh, goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. We—they've we, actually played it before. It's called Goodbye to Elton John shows. Oh, there you go.
0: All right. So we'll keep an ear open for some of those. In fact, uh, one of the topics I wanted to talk to you about is uh, Lollapalooza. A lot of things going on the next week or so, or a couple of weeks here in Chicago, as Mick just mentioned. Uh, This week, uh, July 28th through the 31st, uh, the rock world uh, and the music world comes right to Chicago here at Grant Park for Lollapalooza 2022. And uh, so we'll talk about uh, some of the headliners and some of the people that uh, will be appearing there. I also want to talk about... Billy Corgan, uh, Chicago's very own from Smashing Pumpkins, will be doing a a benefit this week as well uh, to help some of the charities uh, involved with the the aftermath of the uh, Highland Park shooting on uh, 4th of July. Also want to talk about a Chicago rocker, one of my favorites who sadly passed away this week. And uh we may talk a little bit about Elton coming to uh Soldier Field on August 5th. But I also want to talk a little bit too. I don't want, I'm not going to not going to uh, talk a lot about it because it's not officially open yet even though the official grand opening or world premiere of a new musical written by Elton John uh The Devil Wears Prada is playing right now in Chicago at the uh, Niederlander Theater, the former Oriental Theater. Uh it was the opening night and premiere on Tuesday of this past week. But it hasn't officially opened. There's so many different little weird, weird rules in the theater world. It hasn't officially opened yet. The, the press hasn't been invited yet. Because these are previews. It's sort of a work in progress. So they want to give the show a couple of weeks uh, to get on its feet. They, The whole idea of a preview run is to... Make changes and see what is working and what isn't working after they've been in rehearsal for several months. So uh, I'm not going to give a a review of the show, but I think I will talk about some of the new songs that Elton has written that uh, really caught my ear. But, Nick, the first topic that I want to talk to you about has changed in the couple of days since we talked about what we were going to talk about today. Right. I initially wanted to talk to you about Bruce Springsteen and how... Uh, he announced his upcoming E Street Band tour, the first tour since 2017 with the E Street Band. Yes, he did play uh, a solo Broadway show over the last couple of years in 2018 and 2022, or in 2020. But this is the first E Street Band tour, huge tour since 2017 when he did The River. And the the announcement of the U.S. dates comes out. And what city is missing, Mick? Uh, good old
8: Chicago was not on the docket uh, for uh, February, March, April of 2023 when this tour is happening.
0: Yeah. Now, he's playing Detroit, <laughs> and hes I think he's playing, um, where else was it? Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Yeah. No Chicago. Right. Now, people have, have, have told me to get off the ledge. <laughs> Because you know he's supposed to come, uh, you know. Then he's gonna after he plays these dates in the United States, he's gonna go to Europe, and then he's gonna come back, you know, in the fall, in late summer and early fall, and play some outdoor shows. But to me, that doesn't count. Chicago is a major market. It's one of the most loyal fan bases for Bruce Springsteen. Some of the most diehard fans I know. Uh, I've been to some 60 shows. You've been to many shows. We've got a friend named Mark Vasco. He's been all over the place as well. We know so many diehard Springsteen fans. For him to have skipped Chicago it seemed blasphemous to me.
8: Yeah, and, and consider you know Bruce played a couple of shows, you know, nights in a row at Wrigley Field. He's played Soldier Field before. Obviously, the United Center many times. He always so plays so it's multiple not like there dates. Isn't a demand for tickets.
0: Yeah, he always plays multiple dates. Sure. And and my thing is, everybody says, well, don't worry, he's going to come back and, you know, probably play, you know, like, as you just said, Soldier Field or Wrigley Field, you know, in the fall. But no, 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 you know, I want to see a music-oriented show, and even though I'd love to see him on Intimate Place, and I did see him on Broadway, which was amazing to see him in such a small place, but we all know that outdoor shows... Are more Instagram events. They are more party events. People are right, there
8: more, more uh, to be seen. I was there, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. it's
0: not about the music, and and even right. though you can put on a very good outdoor stadium show, and the music, and the and the music quality at these outdoor shows have have you know increased, but you know, let's face it, at the end of the day, unless you're sitting close, you're seeing a dot, and you're watching the video screens. Yeah, and you're also sitting in front of or behind of people that are drunk and that are. Not even paying attention to the to the the concert. So at least at an arena indoors, uh, it's more music focused than the outdoor show, which is more event focused.
8: Right. Exactly. It's not going to be that way. It doesn't seem that way. If he does come in the summer of twenty twenty three.
0: Yeah. So now hopefully they do add it. They've added some shows. So hopefully Chicago gets on the, you know, on the schedule for an for an indoor arena show in uh, in the early part of twenty twenty three. But I don't know. But So that's what I was going to be ranting about. And I guess I got my rant in here. But the bigger story, what is, the with, prices, what yeah. is with the ticket prices?
8: Well, I, I love how Ticketmaster, what do they call that? I think the term is dynamic pricing.
0: Nothing dynamic about it.
8: Well, it's funny when I saw some of these prices of three and four thousand dollars for a main floor seat. I thought to myself, you know, twenty years ago Bruce put out that album, The Rising. I didn't know that he meant ticket prices. <laughs>
0: there's, a, there's definitely a darkness on the edge of town when it comes to Bruce Springsteen tickets. So here's, you know, if you if you don't know there, the, 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 what what's going on and what's been going on in the last couple of years through Ticketmaster. Let's face it. I mean, we all know how crazy buying tickets and getting tickets to any concert has been for the last 40 or 50 years. It's it's always it's very corrupt. It's everybody knows a guy. Everybody knows this. I mean, you know, between ticket brokers, secondary markets, uh, you know, friends of a friend, but yeah, it's always been very difficult and 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 there's no scientific way to get tickets to a concert.
8: Right. And Ticketmaster have the uh monopoly on the whole thing.
0: Yeah. So um, and there's no question, and it's been documented, Bruce Springsteen, especially on the East Coast, is the most, uh, scalped, if you will. I don't know if that term is even, you should even use that term anymore, but his tickets are huge on the secondary markets. Many times people are buying tickets for two or three times the, 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 the price of the ticket, if not more. And so, what Ticketmaster has wanted to try to do is is get that secondary market, those ticket brokers, out of business, and so now they've tried many different things, many different systems, and the latest one is this thing called dynamic pricing. Can you understand what that is?
8: Not really, because I know some people who bought tickets for real cheap. I, I know a friend of mine uh, got a, a seat for sixty dollars. And then I know of other people that saw the prices of anywhere between $1,200 and $4,000 for seats that are maybe not even front row seats. And I know that Ticketmaster has explained it as some kind of algorithm thing. As soon as you start talking that computer talk, of course, I'm lost. (laughs) But they're talking about the more demand there is, the higher they want to charge prices.
0: Yeah, so basically, they're using the same kind of system and the same perspective that uh, airlines and hotels use. Yeah. So, you know, the the route from Chicago to Vegas is much more popular than the route from Chicago to Arkansas. Right. So, obviously, the flights from Chicago to Vegas are going to be higher priced than the ones from Chicago to Arkansas because not as many people want to use them. So, with the the use, as you just said, of algorithm computers, what they're doing now, there used to be, you know, flat rates for tickets. You know, the upstairs tickets may have been a little lower, but it was like, oh, the tickets costs. Um, you know, uh, even in today's world, let's say one hundred and fifty for floor seats and fifty dollars for mezzanine, just as a an example. Sure. Well, those days are over. What what they've done now for certain um, artists is they've initiated this this dynamic pricing um, algorithm and process in which, when the when, to your point. Uh, you know somebody got tickets for $60? Really?
8: Yeah. They're behind the stage, but that's not a bad seat anyway in no. a Bruce show. It doesn't yeah. matter.
0: So if you got online when the tickets went on sale this week early, you, you could have gotten tickets at the normal uh, list price. But as the ticket sales continued, and as more people were buying tickets, and as more people were buying tickets within specific sections... Those prices were automatically continually raised; they were continually fluctuating based on the demand. so, as the day went on, a ticket that may have cost two hundred dollars to start with and weren 't that to your point, not in the front row, but even on the right, side exactly. section, even on the side sections, a ticket that may have started at two hundred dollars and if you got early in the queue, uh, you got that for two hundred dollars within a couple of hours that seat and i 've seen the the um, the web capture photos online. Some of these seats in the in the one hundred sections, those side sections next to the stage, fifty seven hundred dollars for one ticket. That's crazy for one ticket.
8: Yeah, I love Bruce, and you love Bruce. I'm not paying five grand to see. No, Bruce and well, and
0: if I good. want to take someone with me, it's ten.
8: Yeah. <laughs> now, now maybe maybe it's 5 grand if Bruce lets me stay at his place for like a week and I get to hang out well, and then I'm and, like okay I can
0: go with that. And that's a perfect a, a point. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of artists now offer these VIP packages. Yeah. And so the tickets are like 1500 or 1700 or $2,000 a piece. However, you are guaranteed a front row or a, a seat in the first 10 rows. You're given a hospitality suite with some food and some drink. You're given an exclusive parking spot. You're given some exclusive tour merchandise. So at least there are these, in addition to the seat, they're giving you a few of these other little, you know, little perks. Yeah, you're to- getting extras you know, to justify the high price. But in this case, these are just the ticket.
8: Right. Well, and the other part about the whole thing, Jim, and I've been reading a lot about it online like you have, uh, I, I saw, uh, you know, Stephen Van Zandt, little Stephen was asked about it. He says, I don't know anything about it. The other East yeah. e Street band members have been asked. Yeah. And I think the concern is Bruce officially has not put out any kind of a statement yet you know, about this pricing and how things are going and where he stands on this. And I think that's the thing that's disappointing a lot of people right now.
0: Well, not only that, that his silence is is deafening, but also, I mean, once again, and uh, in the last several years, he's he's certainly uh, hurt that reputation and broken the mythology. Uh, supposedly, you know, he's the, the working-class hero. And in the midst of, uh, you know, the highest inflation we've had in 40 years— he has his first tour, which we know uh, there's been pent-up demand uh, for him to come out on the road with the E Street Band. So there's no question there's going to be high demand. And yet, uh, in the midst of high inflation and high demand, uh, the working-class hero charges $5,700 for a ticket. Now, what I have heard is that those, because they can go up, they can also go down. And so I have heard now a lot of that that initial sticker shock uh, has come down and some of those same tickets that were $5700 on the first day are now 2500. Uh- <laughs> <laughs>
8: Bargain, just a bargain right there. Yeah, and, and I understand that too. And they can go lower. I just think it just speaks to the fact that it should have just been. And the artist can work with the you know ticket sellers with this with the uh, ticket master and whoever else is doing this, and say, hey, this is a, this is our cap. This is where we're going. And and right now that hasn't been done by Bruce. And I, like I said, I think that's kind of let down some people.
0: Yeah, definitely. Jim Toronto talking to Mick Kaler here in the Pop Culture Club. We'll continue talking about uh, the Bruce Springsteen ticket fiasco and other pop culture news that's been happening especially here around in chicago the next week or so so stay tuned uh, jim toronto filling in for dean richards but listen anyway we'll be back after this no switching jim toronto at wgn 7 20 a.m filling in for dean richards this morning but listen anyway hope you have been having a good time here for the last couple of two and a half hours or so Still got about an hour and a half to go left, so stay tuned. What else are you going to do on a Sunday? Just kick back, have your favorite beverage, and start your Sunday, well, late morning, the Elton way That's the way I'm doing it. I mean, I'm here, so why can't you? Joining us this morning in the Pop Culture Club, talking about some pop culture topics, is Mick Kaler, fellow pop culture guru we were just just to uh to put a little bow on the uh the bruce springsteen conversation we're having uh before the news talking about not only him snubbing chicago for the first announced dates of his u.s tour in uh, the first part of 2023 but uh but then i oh, actually uh, grateful that he's not coming to chicago <laughs> right i can't afford him i yeah. got a mortgage the house again. Yeah, just for, just for tickets just <laughs> saved me so- to save me 10 grand. Right. <laughs> well, you know, the, but, you know, uh, you know, once again, there's this dynamic, uh, pricing thing that, uh, the Ticketmaster has instituted for the Bruce Springsteen concert in many cities. And, uh, it has, it's based on a, uh, demand uh, kind of process, which saw tickets uh, on the first day of sales going up from the original list price of say two hundred dollars a piece to five thousand. And once again, hey, look, I've bought tickets on the secondary market. Now, yes, I have paid two or three times the the uh, the ticket price value, but I've never paid ten to twelve times per uh, the, the 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 price. I mean, come on,
8: you haven't been that dynamic,
0: in your paying no. Right? And and to your the excellent point that you made before the news was that the disappointing thing is that Bruce has been very quiet on this. Uh both he or his management they have not said, "Hey, we're we're sorry about this, we're looking into this, we weren't aware about this." Look, uh, as I said earlier, this tour is the first Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band tour since 2017. You know the demand was going to be great. I mean, look. Sure. And so you had to think that the prices were going to go up. Bruce has been, as I said before, uh, has lost millions of dollars, and that's documented uh, over his career—millions and millions of dollars uh, due to the secondary market and getting and with, with brokers getting two or three or four times the the amount of the, the ticket price. But at the same time, and I know, look, we all like to count everybody else's money, right? Yeah. And you answer, and you always ask, well, how much is too much? You know, right? But but in reality, as I said before, Bruce Bruce has this this working class blue collar image. He's the, the hero the of the everyman, world, yeah, the everyman. And let's not forget that about four months ago he he sold his entire catalog for five hundred million dollars.
8: In, in other words, Bruce is doing all right.
0: I mean, that's that, you know to put that in real terms, folks, that's a half a billion. Yep, and that's on top of probably the two or three or four hundred million he's already had in the bank, and so yes, I I I don't think you try to make it up on people at this point because as you and I know too, Mick, you know uh, Bruce's uh, fan base they don't just go to one show.
8: Exactly, they want to see you know two in one market. They may travel to another town and see another show. You and I have done that, and other yes. people have too. Some people travel so to this, three uh, or four. A serious commitment.
0: Yeah, and, and pump some people go to three or four concerts, and so that does that means you know hotels or airfare or trains or now in today's world gas. Yeah. In addition to the ticket price, and so if if they saw this happening, I'm surprised they didn't jump in that day and said, okay, wait a minute, we did we we made a mistake. We're looking into this. Look, Bruce is seventy three, his manager, John Landau, is seventy five, they might not be that tech savvy. But somebody around there had to have known
8: And and raise a hand and say, Hey, I think we need to address this.
0: The implications that you know there's gonna be great demand and they somebody just could have said, just so you know, there's a chance that sometimes, you know, the ticket price, just as a as a hypothetical maybe, you know, the ticket prices could go up to five grand. Do you really want that? out there even if it doesn't last right but here's the great irony we've both you've done this i've done this remember the good old days when you'd ask- you actually get a lawn chair and and wait out for tickets oh sure I used to sleep out all the time yeah. yeah overnight well the your the whole mindset in the old days before this dynamic pricing uh, structure went into place the whole the, the, the thought was i have to get tickets soon and fast and first right because they're going to sell out but now, based on this dynamic pricing where the, where the prices shoot up to $5,000, people go, well, I, I, I can't do that. As I said before, within a couple of days, those $5,000 tickets went down to 2500 Well, who's to say by February, if people still are saying, well, that's too much, by January, they might get down to the regular price. So my point is we might have to start to rethink our strategies of getting tickets,
8: yeah, you might have to hold out longer. And that happens at other sites, too. I know that prices on StubHub and other places, they will go down when it gets closer to the date of a show. If, if, there's, a, if there's not enough of a demand, they're like, well, i got to cut these prices. So the Bruce tickets may see that kind of a price drop, too.
0: Yeah, well, like I said, over the last several years, between uh, the, uh, the DUI that he got that uh, he didn't... He still hasn't made a public comment on it, really. Yeah. And that was kind of pushed underneath the... Uh, uh you know under the the bedspread by the media and everyone else involved uh you know until it came to light the day after he did a car commercial <laughs> <laughs> so there's a few things uh, a few a few little little dents in the uh, the the formerly undented Bruce Springsteen armor but um
8: yeah a little tarnish for yeah
0: sure. i but at the end of the day look i i'm one of those people who can um separate the artist from the person and Bruce Springsteen is like all of us, a human being with flaws, and in many cases, he's very flawed. But I don't take that away, and, and I think he's made a huge mistake here. If, if they weren't aware of the possibilities, they certainly could have moved in and either, like you said earlier, capped the prices, say, okay, look, this is out of, out of hand here, we're not going to have any prices over $1,500 or or, right. tooth, or whatever. But to let it go up to five, it just looked, the, the PR side of this was horrendous. And uh, I, at least I thought Bruce's management with John Landau was a little more savvy than that. But they've just sort of let this float out there without any kind of statement. Kind of disappointing. Anyway, some fun stuff. Chicago is going to be ground zero for rock and roll festivals this weekend. On July 28th through the 31st, we're lollapalooza again, uh, Mick. That's
8: right. Four days, Thursday through Sunday.
0: Come for the unknown band.
8: Stay for the B.O. That's (laughs) the deal.
0: And four days of B.O.
8: Yeah, yeah, and some people do that. And, you know, you got to be a lot younger to uh, appreciate uh, sitting out there for four days doing that, but a lot of people do it.
0: Oh, it's not going to be too warm. It's not too warm in Chicago in late in late July, early August, is it?
8: You, you know, my favorite part of Lollapalooza is a couple of days afterwards when they do that Lost and Found thing. Yeah, right. Where the people have lost cell phones and wallets and people and things like that. Yeah, right. claim.
0: Brothers and sisters.
8: Yeah, exactly. I think my son's in here somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and it looks and it
0: looks like a dump.
8: Oh yeah, it looks like a war zone for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah,
0: and 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 then I think the city actually benefits from that because they get like extra pay because the promoters have to fix up the field and all. Oh yeah, that they got to
8: pay for the resodding and all that stuff. Yeah, and then, don't worry, the promoters are doing fine too on that.
0: <laughs> well, you have to see. You now, interestingly enough, I'm I'm sure that uh, it, it's been very successful for both the city. It's been one of our major uh, revenue generators over the last yeah. ten or so years that it's been here and. Uh, And certainly the promoters have been happy. Uh, But you know what? The contract does end after this year.
8: Oh, does it? So there might be a possibility there might be a bidding war for the next Yeah. Uh, so you host never
0: know. Well, I well
8: that's smart of the promoters part because they can make a lot of more money maybe somewhere else.
0: Yeah, know? so we'll see. I mean hopefully it, it does stay here because whether I mean I've never gone to Lollapalooza, uh, but still I think it's 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 good uh PR uh for the city to to be associated with such a, a major, major uh rock festival just to, to heighten the, the image and the Oh yeah, the, people
8: come from all over
0: the world to yeah, these shows, you know? Yeah, the, in the cachet of the city and uh, and once again um you know i mean you know it's become kind of a cliche joke that you know i mean there's a 170 bands over 4 days nine stages 400,000 people i mean it's just it it is a huge huge event uh, on every on every scale of it but um but you you know and yes you know if there's if you're if you're under 30 and you know, if you're over thirty, and you know any of the band's names, I, 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 I think, wow, good for you. Good, good. You're really hip, yeah. Yeah, because uh, this is not aimed at the over thirty crowd, nope. and so you know, there comes a point when all of us need to just deal with it, and <laughs> and because you know what, some of these bands are good, and just because we've never heard them. Or just because they have weird names, let's remember that our parents thought that the name Beatles sounded weird and Rolling exactly, Stones. Or the Who, or whatever. Or the who yeah, all exactly. sounded weird. And and so uh, you know, let's just let's let's just uh you know cool off. Yes, it's fun to make jokes and oh I I wanna see whatever, you know. And some of the names are a little crazier than they used to be. But uh hey, that's youth and we all went through it and let let the young people enjoy that, but like you said I'm not gonna be anywhere near there, uh, because it, it it looks that that is I've been I've aged out on on Lollapalooza, I think.
8: Yeah, in fact like, I think they have a sign that says if you are over a certain age, you are not allowed in. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I you know, when I was in my twenties and thirties and I was going to concerts and I saw somebody in their forties and god forbid their fifties, yeah. At a concert, I'd be like, Hey, get out of here.
8: Well, well, they'll they'll be carding, so if
0: you and I walked up to
8: the gate, they'd look at
0: our IDs and go, I'm sorry, you're too old, you have to leave. If I saw someone older, I'd say, hey, this is my scene. That's right, you're you're, you're encroaching on my stuff. Yeah, yeah. Now, we should say that some big names are going to be here once again. It's great for the uh, the image of the city. Uh, Metallica, uh, Megan Fox's husband, isn't that the way he's described? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I think his name is Machine Gun Kelly, but yeah in my world he's megan fox's husband
8: or mgk as he sometimes yeah
0: down. oh that oh wow nice very cool <laughs> uh green day is uh is coming around and uh porno for pyros with perry farrell who who founded who founded lalapalooza yeah i mean man i mean every I, I would love to see what the um what the royalty checks are for him every year
8: yeah, it's serious money. And you mentioned Green Day. I mean, Green Day, they're like the elder statesmen as far as... Oh, I mean, yeah. Metallica, too,
0: you know? No kidding. And, you know, about three or four years ago, two or three years ago, uh, when this artist uh, first came on the scene, I sort of made fun of her name, and I would call her Oompa Loompa or something, <laughs> but I have to give Dua Lupa, Lipa, Lupa, what's it? <laughs> still Dua Lipa, yeah. Dua Lipa. I have to give her her props. Because um, not only has she had a hit song with Elton John, that just this, about two or three weeks ago, I'm not really crazy about this song called Cold Heart, but it's been on the radio, it's been number one in many countries around the world, it's been a top ten song here. It just reached the one billion streaming on Spotify. See, there you go. And apparently says, I'm reading the story about this Cold Heart song that she sings with Elton John, which is basically just a mashup of many of his old songs, like a remix, with her vocal on there, singing the the Rocket Man uh, chorus. Uh Uh, Not only now does she have this billion stream song with Elton, she's got six other ones.
8: Right. Well, keep in mind, too, okay, when you look at that big list of Lollapalooza acts, an act that's way down low, that, like you said, is a funny name, or you make fun of it, or you don't know of anything about them. Over the years, they may climb up to where they're one of the big headliners.
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, Oompa Loompa, Loompa She do. she's going to be headlining uh, <laughs> along with uh, Metallica and Green Day and, and, and many of your other uh, favorite and, uh, and oddly named bands. So Grant Park uh, will become uh, a tent city. <laughs> have at it for sure yeah. or certainly a rock city for the next uh four four days or so starting uh on the 28th this week <laughs> a cool thing that's going on uh you know we're still uh, trying to digest the uh, the realities of the uh, the fourth of july shooting in in highland park but uh right. billy corgan who has been a highland park citizen for like 20 years uh resident uh, is doing something cool on uh, the 27th uh, from his uh, his Zuzu's uh, Tea House in Highland Park. He's doing a live stream uh, sh- uh, benefit show.
8: I, I saw that. So, I mean, obviously his tea house couldn't hold a lot of people, so put it out to the world and let everybody enjoy it that way and put in money,
0: right? Yeah, it's going to be called Together and Together Again. It's going to take place at Madam Zuzu's in Highland Park, and uh, it's going to start at uh, 8 o'clock on, uh, on the 27th. Of this week, Central Time, and it'll be on the Smashing Pumpkins YouTube channel for free. Um, So you can view it for free, and then you can make a donation. Um, Billy Corgan's going to be performing with the Pumpkins drummer, Jimmy Chamberlain. There's going to be some other uh, special guests that'll be uh, appearing, as well as some uh, other ones to be announced. And all the proceeds for the show will be going to uh, benefit the Highland Park Community Foundation.
8: Well, that's, that's a great cause, and obviously he's doing a good thing for helping those people. And again, like you said, we're still processing things with that, but this is a nice way to bring some positivity to the whole situation.
5: So
0: how bummed were you this week, Mick, when you read that Cliff Johnson of the great Chicago rock band Off-Broadway passed away at the age of 70?
8: Yeah, that was a really sad story. Um, and I know that he had been ailing for some time, And so it wasn't like a surprise to the people that were in the know. But I remember seeing Off-Broadway back in 1980, right, when their uh, debut record was going to uh, uh, break, and that's the single, Stay in Time. And I saw them at the amphitheater, and I was like, wow, these guys are really good. And I'm sure like you, Jim, it was exciting when a a local act – is all of a sudden about to break nationally. It's like, hey, they're from our town, they're from our area, and look how exciting this is to see hit songs coming out.
0: Well, that was the thing too. That in that moment, around seventy nine or eighty, um, what happened was that lo- some uh, just a, 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 a burst of local acts were 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 popping on the national scene, and and Off Broadway was one of them. Right. Uh, remember the hounds oh sure the hounds yeah, and the shoes. Sh- the shoes and yeah. uh, and so not only were they getting some some major record play here in chicago on the rock stations but they were actually getting uh some major play nationally in fact off broadways on album i'll tell you that one there's not a bad song on that album. No,
8: that's when you could listen to both sides or, you know, you'd be back in the old days of listening to vinyl and there wasn't a bad song on it and they all rocked, yeah.
0: Yeah, and Cliff Johnson was the lead singer. They, the, the band was, and he was uh, very Beatles-influenced. They had a really knack of, of, of combining, uh, you know, a hard rock edge with some really cool pop sensibility. So the songs were very melodic, but they also rocked. I mean, Full Moon, Turn Your Head Around, uh, you know, you know holy, Stay in holy. Time Here. Yeah, Uh, is a is a great infectious kind of pop hook, and uh, then later they had uh, Automatic, uh, Bad Indication, so many great songs. I saw them open for Cheap Trick in 1981 at the Granada Theater.
8: Oh wow, that'd be a great place to see a show. Oh my god,
0: I mean that talk about a a, just a a a, a sloppy but hilariously fun rock (laughs) show between. Uh, you know, Off-Broadway, and then the headliners, uh, Cheap Trick. It was just a pure party. I mean, I don't know how it sounded. I mean, if I had a tape of that now, a bootleg, I don't know how good it sounded, but to be in that room right. with those bands at that moment, uh, they were sort of at their heights. Uh, but, yeah, so Cliff Johnson, um, I think it was an Oak Park native, and, right, uh,
8: and uh, he, you know, he really lived music because it wasn't just off Broadway. He was in a band called Pez Band. He had a lot of incarnations of other groups after Off Broadway. He was constantly, you know, recruiting new band members and playing, with, you know, anywhere he could. He just lived for that. And again, to just think that, you know, we still got his records, but to see Cliff play live and sing live, the fact that that's gone is—it's uh, a real letdown for sure.
0: Yeah, if you've never heard of Off Broadway, I mean, like I said, this is this album that. We're talking about their debut album was is called On, simply On. O N. Uh, go online, go to YouTube, but but check out this album by Off Broadway. And if you're a rock fan, and I don't know if there's that many left anymore, <laughs>
8: but yeah. if you it's funny that you mentioned you know Cheap Trick because they were kind of on the order of Cheap Trick. It's like a true American rock sound, you know.
0: Yeah, and uh, and like I said, this band, you just put this this album on. On, if you will, and uh, and just sit back and just listen to the uh, the the energy and the edge. And Cliff Johnson had a very unique uh, voice, and uh, everything just gelled. It was really it, it should have been a much bigger uh, you know album nationally. Uh, yeah, and they
8: were on Atlantic Records, so they had the you know venue or the platform to get out all over the country for sure.
0: Yeah, sadly, uh, he passed away at uh, at age seventy. So Chicago certainly lost one of its. Uh, it's great rockers there. And, uh, and finally, um, I wanted to talk about... I'm not going to give a full review because it's in previews. And so the show is still getting up on its feet. So I don't think it would be fair to review it. But I did see the opening night and world premiere performance. Of a devil's uh, the uh, the devil wears Prada, which is now playing, okay. This is
8: and this is the one that's going to be coming to Broadway, but they're just getting all the kinks out right now here in Chicago. Yeah,
0: so it's a Nieder, it's at the Nederlander Theater, and of course, my interest in it was uh, was uh, about the fact that the music is written by Elton John with a female lyricist, one of the few female lyricists that he's ever worked with, a, a newcomer named uh, Shayna Taub. And though Elton has written songs with females in the past, including Cher... People people not, not know that, but there's uh, an 80s song called Don't Trust That Woman that Cher wrote the lyrics to on, his, um, on one of his albums. It's not really a great song, but he did she did get a writing credit. Okay. And there's actually a good song with another female, if you remember from the 1980 album, 21 to 33, Give Me the Love, Judy Zook.
8: I remember. Her, I remember she opened one of his shows. Yeah, yeah.
0: But uh, but he has written the eighteen or so songs uh, for the stage version of A Devil Wears Prada. I'm not going to get into the show yet because, to be honest with you, it wouldn't be fair because the show that I saw just this past uh, Tuesday. If you want, if you go to see it today, or you go to see it the next week or so, you know, it, it may change because that's the whole idea of previews is right, to it's a work in progress is to change it, and so. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't be fair to really review it yet for at least for a couple of weeks and I think the press opening is in in a couple of weeks like the first week of of August. So by then they may feel that uh, what you know the show is is, is taking shape before you know it, it it's it's made they've made tweaks along the way, adding songs, changing songs, changing the order of songs, moving things around. Anything could uh, anything could happen, but I I do want to mention that um, that some of these new songs, there are three really good songs. Got good um, hooks too. That got good hooks. That are are that El- that that really are. I mean, they're not in the in the upper echelon of Elton John's all-time hits because those that, that would be that would be unfair. Right. But certainly some songs that really caught my ear that were uh, were fun as well as poignant for the show, and as well as probably standalone songs if you just heard them. Um, so I will say that if you do go to see the devil wears Prada, that'll be playing now until August 21st at the Niederlander theater, uh, check out or keep your ear open for, uh, the big kind of, uh, uh, big production number, uh, with all the dancing and it's a big tempo song. It's called dress your way up. Okay. And, uh, and then the, the main ballad, which I do hope takes on more of a, of a prominent role in the film, and it—I mean—in the—in the play, I hope it gets a little more of a, of a, of a centerpiece kind of, um, of attention. Is a song called "The Old You." It's a ballad, uh, and it's really pretty, and it's very powerful, and uh, it's really central to the theme of the, of the show. And if you remember the great Meryl Streep film, right, well, uh,
8: playing Miranda Priestley.
0: All right. So, uh, so anyway, keep your uh, your ears open for that. Um, anyway, Mick, uh, thank you so much for joining us here in the Pop Culture Club. Hey, pal, anytime. You,
8: you bet. I uh, have fun as always.
0: Yeah, we will. We'll talk to you soon. We'll be back after this message. No switching.
5: Down, a
0: Jim Toronto with you. Giving you a loving spoonful of some good radio this morning. Good morning on that little segue. How's that, Jack? You like that one? I don't even know he's going to play that song. He just, you know. What can I say? I'm a music lover. Anyway, filling in for Dean Richards this morning, but listen, anyway, got about uh, 50 minutes or so left. Hope you'll uh, stay with us. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit uh, about baseball. We just had the Baseball World Series and uh, the Home Run Derby, and we start now second half. Big hopes, hopefully, for the the White Sox to turn around their fortunes. So much expectation for them. Uh, going into this season, they're just about at 500. I think they might be a game under. Disappointing season for the the Cubs. We'll see if they can turn things around. Although they have won three games in a row, which is a good sign, but they're still way down, down, down um, 37 wins, I think, 58 losses. So a little struggle there for the Cubs, so we'll see. But I wanted to talk a, a little bit about baseball, not so much about the details and the uh the specifics but also just about this kind of the state of the game where we find it in 2022 and uh and what can baseball do if at any to to grab back that moniker and that uh, that image of of uh, america's pastime the question is has baseball passed its time to talk about that, we've got a friend of mine who's also a very noted author about baseball, written several baseball books, including The Final Season, The Road to Cooperstown, Tie and Babe, and Hank Aaron and The Home Run That Changed America. Welcome to the show, Mr. Tom
5: Stanton. How you doing, sir? Doing well, Jim. Good to be with you. So Tom, I, you I, are I'm sorry, no, go ahead. I have to I have to I have to say one thing though. You should have given us a warning about uh, Javi Baez before letting us sign this guy. Well,
0: I tell you, that's one of the things. That's one of the things I want to talk to you about. Uh, Tom is a born and raised and die-hard uh, Detroit Tigers fan. In fact, uh, a couple of the books that he's written that I that I mentioned there deal with uh, specifically the Detroit Tigers. His first book, a uh, really just a, a great great read if you're a baseball fan and also if you're just a human being because there's, there's a human story involved. It's called uh, the, the Final Season, and what Tom did was a very cool thing. Tell the people what you did for the final season.
6: Yeah, well,
5: the ballpark was one of the last places where I could uh, touch the memories of the grandfather I never knew. And uh, in Detroit, as in Chicago, the love of the game has passed down through generations, and the ballpark – uh, it was in his final season, so I decided to go to every game in the final year to kind of say goodbye to the place. And it uh, ended up being a much more powerful experience than I expected.
0: Yeah, it's a great read. Uh, there, it, it, the, Tom beautifully weaves in uh, memories uh, of, his, of his growing up and his family life and his different relationships, as well as his memories of the Detroit Tigers, all built around this idea of the final season. And as luck would have it, uh, I actually attended one of those games
5: with you that year. Yeah, you sure did. Uh, I mean, fans of a certain age, I think, uh, attach this romanticism to baseball that maybe younger fans don't uh, because we learned of it often from our fathers or sometimes our mothers or grandparents. And the love is passed down through the generations. And in in the era when I was growing up and probably when you were growing up as well, Jim, you're a bit younger, uh, you were used to a ball player staying with your team for 10, 15, 20 fifteen, twenty years—maybe their whole career—and uh, that doesn't happen today, which I think changes the flavor of the game in a in a very big way. I mean, I'd be hard pressed, and I follow baseball uh, more than the average person to list for you the roster of the Detroit Tigers. <laughs> I was just—I was just <laughs> going to s- be able to tell you uh, anybody other than a couple of all stars who plays for who play for the Cubs or the White Sox, and you know. As a kid, I'm, I'm just going to start like sounding like an old curmudgeon, which I am. Uh, <laughs> I could name, you know, I could, I could say not only Ernie Banks and Billy Williams, but Ron Santo and Glenn Beckert. You know, I could, Randy Hundley. I, I, could list s- the, I, I the can the list. I can still list the opposing team. Yeah, I
0: can still list the Cincinnati Reds. They weren't even my team. But I could still list the, the the big red machines, you know, starting lineup in order. You know, Rose, Morgan, Perez, uh, Foster, Bench, Geronimo, Concepcion, uh, you know, uh, Dennis Menke and Gary Nolan the pitcher, or Don Gullet. I mean, this is this is fifty years later.
5: Jack Billingham, too. Yeah, yeah Jack <laughs> Billingham.
0: But to your point, I watched the home run derby the other night. Yeah. Uh Thank God
5: Albert Pujols was in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cuz I wouldn't have known anyone else.
5: I was so relieved that the tie, uh, that the uh, Major League Baseball came up with this thing of the uh, naming two legacy players Pujols and Cabrera from Detroit. Right. But in addition to that, they named an honorary coach which was Willie Horton, my childhood oh, idol. Right,
0: Willie Horton. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so uh, otherwise so otherwise I would have been lost. Yeah, so that's the thing. I mean, you know, and and so to your point, which is so well made, is baseball has always prided itself, it has marketed itself, it has put forth itself as this is this uh, you know game steeped in its history and its tradition, and and this whole idea, like you said, of being it passed down from grandfather to to to, to grandson or from father to son, and. Is that, I mean, so now we find today, there's no question, football is the most popular sport in the United States. There's no question about that. But I I hear more and more talk, people, especially younger people, they they just don't, you know, is it not getting passed down or is the game past its time?
5: Yeah, you know, it is a longer game. And, you know, that's, that's a thing that we've fans romanticize about it we fans of a certain age how uh you know there is no time limit to a baseball game it's like life you know uh, uh you don't know when it's going to end and uh you know with with football basketball hockey you're, you're playing for a set amount of minutes unless you're going to overtime and so we've always loved this this timeless element to it but maybe that doesn't fit with the the lifestyle of uh today's fans or today's younger generations where you know everything is you know again sounded curmudgeonly but you know TikTok and snap and you know yeah, right and, uh, instagram it. <laughs> it's, it's, and, it's you know, snapchat by the way tom 24 hours and it's uh, you know that's not baseball and baseball is trying to adapt by you know the, for one example the controversial rule of uh, you know if you have a tie game and Going into extra innings, you know, I start with the runner at second base. Oh, I hate that. i a baseball first. So I like, oh, my oh, God. I cannot
0: stand that. <laughs> terrible well that's the point for a game that is so steeped in tradition they keep you know that in order to uh, i guess it's uh, but i guess it's you know it's it's a catch-22 if you can you can stay steadfast to this these long traditions but if it's not appealing to the people then then who then 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 what good are those traditions so then you try to change the game to appeal to some of the changing attitudes and and viewpoints and lifestyles of people uh, but then if they're if they don't don't uh even catch on or, or find it interesting even though you've tried to cater to them then you haven't gotten the new audience and you've turned off your old audience
5: yeah absolutely and i, I mean i understand and we all understand it comes down to economics that your these teams are playing paying these enormous contracts so even though the attendance at a lousy tigers uh season is going to be strong compared to what it was you know 40, 50 years ago, the amount of money they need to make to, you know, to pay Javi as $20 million to bet 218 is <laughs> is, is enormous. You know, you, you have to generate the incomes. So they need more and more people and you don't need the fans as much uh, that you would see at the games when I was a kid, which is, you know, the these uh, old guys and they're sometimes families with uh, uh, a whole uh, crew Uh, tagging along, paying a low amount, you know, getting cheap hot dogs and, you know, going to a dozen games a year. Now they want to be much more an experience where you go and you're spending a couple hundred dollars for the event.
0: Have you heard of the Savannah Bananas?
5: (laughs) Uh, a little bit. Uh, they sure look fun. Do you, do you think you could? Uh, well, that's your, the thing. Uh,
0: For those that don't know what it is, the Savannah Bananas are a, are like a minor league, independent kind of team uh, that is that is sort of like the globetrotters of baseball. And I mean, you know, so in the before every pitch, the entire team does a flash mob dance move. I mean, or the batter comes up with his bat literally on fire. Uh, they've completely tried to take, you know, take bring some fun and outrageousness. It's it, Bill Veck must be having a, a field day up uh, in heaven right now because it's right up his alley. Um, so, but once again, I don't know is it a de- is it a desecration of the game or is it bringing families at least to a ballpark and enjoying baseball in some way? Is it good or bad?
5: Yeah, well, minor league baseball has always been better at at. Uh... Not feeling so haughty about itself. I mean, I have a difficulty uh, imagining. I don't know. I don't know who. Are, uh, and the Cubs are the uh, the more d- distant uh, kind of um, silent players. But I don't know. Can you imagine Nico Horner doing a? And, you know, dancing with some 65-year-old uh, cheerleader?
0: I, maybe. I don't know. I but, mean, you know, yeah. the, the Globetrotters in basketball were good ambassadors to, to, to raise the, the, the awareness of basketball uh, as, as as well as bring an entertainment aspect to it. So I see the value of that, but I just look at that and going, but my gosh, if, if too many people like this better than the real game, then then we might have bats on fire as a regular thing now. <laughs>
5: You know, it is interesting, uh, interesting contrast balance. Uh, baseball is trying to find the balance. I mean, we just had, and I, I know it's happening in, with other teams where they actually showed the baseball telecast with no announcers just uh, so that you could experience the right. sounds of the game. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know they have certain games now where they're not going to play walk-up music anymore. You know, which probably satisfies older fans, and it's something different. But that is the exact opposite of what they're doing and having success with in Savannah, where the the team has uh, right that minor league team I believe has more Twitter followers than any major league yeah, team. Yeah, it's unbelievable. By yeah, multiples.
0: so. Yeah, we'll see. I'm talking to Tom Stanton, an author and big baseball fan, author about baseball and big baseball fan. Uh, after the break, uh, I'm going to continue talking with Tom, and we will talk about Javi Baez, now a member of the Detroit Tigers, and you have to tell me, and you have to give me props on the great I told you so about Javi Baez. Jim Toronto <laughs> speaking and filling in for Dean Richards this morning. Stay tuned. No switching. Jim Toronto here at WGN 720 AM. Filling in for Dean Richards this morning, or now it's this afternoon. Been here since 9 o'clock. We'll be around for another half hour or so. Right now we're talking to Tom Stanton, noted baseball fan and noted baseball author. He's written several books on the game. And um, Tom, I couldn't resist. uh, Last year when uh, the Cubs did one of their uh, dumping many of their big... Players like uh, Javi Baez and uh, Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, I noted that uh, Javi Baez went to Detroit. And so I sent you an email and I said, I'm sure there's great expectation and great anticipation for Javi Baez, an exciting player, an all-star to come to your team to help its fortunes. And I said, I guarantee you within uh, a month or so, you will come to hate him and uh how's that Uh-oh. playing out how's that playing out so far
5: um you know i think i've blocked that conversation because you you want to believe you know i'm still 11 year old at heart and i want to believe that you know getting javier bias here and you know uh some of the young players it's going to turn this team around and Boy, uh, he's made a lot of enemies here. Oh, I
0: told you. I mean, you know, if you see him on ESPN in clips... He's an amazing player. You you get to see these dramatic home runs and these uh these amazing plays in the field and he hits these game-winning home runs and these towering home runs and you go wow, would we love to have that guy. But when you watch him play 162 games and you see him swing at that pitch over his head or that gosh darn pitch on the outside in the dirt he kills way more rallies than he ever hits dramatic home runs. And it doesn't take long for you to say, what the heck is going on with this guy?
5: <laughs> I I, um, I have to tell you, I mean, uh, I was all prepared to just bash Javi. But then I watched last night's game. Oh, here
0: we go here, we go. here we
5: go. a run. Oh, here we go. And, uh, and oh. scores a run. And I'm thinking... Well, maybe he's turning it around. Maybe this is the moment. Oh, don't, you know, don't be it, tempted. I'm trying to erase, Oh my God! The fans were just booing him a few weeks ago because he, <laughs> you know, he's like swinging at pitches there above his head. I and, know. You know he off the plate. Oh, <laughs> like, well, that, that just take a pitch. What are you doing? That man? <laughs> that
0: outside pitch in the dirt is so frustrating. <laughs> he just swings at it every time, and oh, yeah, I mean. You have a,
5: I'm ripping the on this guy, uh, you know, because he's batting 218 or something, and he's just not living up to the $20 million per season uh, pay that he gets. But... He, our team is so lousy that he's actually leading the team with a home run <laughs> with nine home runs, which means you know we're going to have nobody with more than twenty home runs at the end of the season. Oh, well. uh, like I said, don't get me wrong; you know, he's a, I, he's, I, a been talented, been years, uh, he's a very you know, so talented for six years. Yeah, he's a very talented. a
0: little faith. He's a very talented player. Don't get me wrong, but he's so undisciplined at the plate that it just—if you watch him on a regular basis—it uh, just drives you crazy. Well, anyway, uh, good luck with hot good luck with your tigers uh the tigers and the cubs have pretty much the same record so we're both in the same uh we're both in the same uh, little group here now but i want to thank tom stanton for uh for joining me talking a little baseball and where it was and where it may be going and uh, and all those uh, days of the past and maybe hopefully more days of the future tom a noted author check out his book the final season uh the road to, to cooperstown tie and the babe and Hank Aaron and the home run that changed the world, all that. Always good to talk to you, Tom. And uh, keep your keep your spirits up. Go Javi. Go Mini Minosa. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Tom. Jim Toronto filling in for Dean Richards this morning. After the news, we'll be talking to someone, the director of astronomy at the Adler Planetarium, to we'll talk about those new... Breathtaking photos from the James Webb Telescope. But right now, here's the news with Dave Schwan. Jim Toronto filling in for Dean Richards this morning. Yeah, but listen, anyway, hope you have. have been having a good time so far since 9 a.m., you got a few more minutes in here. Before we continue, I just want to say that right now I've got a $100 gift card from the BBQ Barbecue Authority in Lyle. So visit bbqauthority.com to shop and learn more. Right now, fifth caller at 312-981-7200, 312-981-7200, fifth caller will get a $100 gift card from BBQ Barbecue Authority in Lyle. I don't know if you knew if you saw for uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, in the midst of so much news happening, especially the terrible tragedy in Highland Park on the Fourth of July. But uh, about a week or so after that, in the midst of all that, um, some breathtaking, jaw dropping, awesome, awestruck—I don't know—I can't even think of uh, of some uh, adjectives to describe the photos that were coming. The first photos that were brought. Sent back to Earth from the James Webb Telescope that was launched uh, around Christmas time of last year and now sending back photos of parts of the universe and the galaxy that we can only have dreamed or imagined. We are now seeing for the first time in the history of mankind, and I wanted to talk about those photos and not only about those photos themselves, but the potential influence that they may have on our scope of knowledge. Of the universe and what it might even say about the scope of the knowledge of the human race. So I'm uh, I'm very happy to uh, to welcome the director of astronomy at Chicago's own Adler Planetarium, uh, Geza Juk, and uh, welcome to the show. Pleased to be here. So uh, were you as blown away when you saw those first photos that uh, President Biden uh, released coming back from the um, from the James Webb Telescope?
6: absolutely i think I think you have the adjectives right mind blowing jaw dropping awestruck <laughs> they're they're just amazing uh, they're they're better than we expected uh, and they're they're more beautiful than i expected
0: yeah i mean what what yeah i mean were you, what what in your mind were you thinking, and then when you saw these photos of all these different colors and these stars, and then there's these other photos of the of the dust and the and the and the actual birth of a star, and then the, these other uh, kind of mini galaxies. I mean, could you even have comprehended what you were going to see beforehand?
6: Uh, the level of detail is just fantastic. Uh, that first image that President Biden unveiled where you see all of these background galaxies distorted and twisted. and You can see how the, the foreground uh, cluster is, is bending the light. Oh, that was just amazing. We've seen things a little bit like this, but never in such detail, and uh, with, with such depth, and looking back so far, so distant into the past.
0: So, so give us a, a, a little, um, a little perspective. What are we when we are seeing all these lights and all these galaxies, because these, these numbers are, are kind of hard to digest, even put your head around, but we are seeing light from billions and billions of years ago. Is that correct?
6: That's absolutely right. The, fur- the further away you look, the longer the light has, has taken to get to you. So if you look at, say, a friend of yours a few feet away, that's a light that's a few nanoseconds old. You look at the sun that's like it's eight minutes old but if you look at some of these galaxies that the uh, james webb can see those are billions of years old in fact james webb can see all the way back to only about a hundred million years after the formation of the universe almost all the way
0: a hundred million say that again a hundred million years
6: <laughs> what after the big bang wow so, you know we're currently at like 13, 14 billion years after the big bang. And we can look all the way back to when the universe was was basically a a baby, you know, toddler.
0: So how does that change our, I mean, and we're going to continue to get more photos, but even at this early stage with these first photos, um, what can, what is that to your point about the greater detail? What, advantages now do these these photos that are getting pictures of of areas and aspects of the universe you've never seen before, but in such detail, what does that do to our knowledge and our science?
6: Well let's take that first field, that deep field, uh where you can see the background galaxies bent and distorted by the by the mass of that program What that helps understand is well where all the dark matter is, we know that most of the universe isn't this bright stuff that we can see. You know, we can see those galaxies and stars and gas and dust, but that's really just the icing on the cake. 90% or more of the universe is actually dark, and we can't see. But when you see the light from background galaxies being bent by the gravity of the dark matter, then you can figure out what's what's up with the dark matter. So that's going to help us revolutionize our understanding of, of, you know,
0: and, and, what, and what, kind of, what, kind of, what kind of insights will that provide us with, then?
6: Well, dark matter is one of the big mysteries. You know, where is it? What is it? I, in fact, it's been studied not just with uh, James Webb and, and other telescopes, but we're also building uh, huge colliders on Earth, particle colliders, to try to figure out what it is. And, you know, we're learning more about what matter is made of. How can we manipulate matter? What's what are the possibilities? So, we, we don't know yet. It's it, it's a little bit like you know when electricity is first uh, first came you know, people were first doing things. You know, what good is it? Well, we didn't know, but we sure do know now.
0: <laughs> and and do you think that the uh, the the photos that we've received so far and the ones that we 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 may receive in the future, and given this great detail and the great insight that they can offer science now that we never had the opportunities, do you think we can at least begin to chip away at the ever-elusive question of are we alone?
6: Absolutely. Yeah, as you said, we're going to be seeing a lot more images. These are the first five. But already, for example, uh, there's dozens, hundreds actually, of of programs approved for taking more images. Uh, We've got a whole first year planned out, and the second year is, is uh, being readied. We're going to have the James Webb for 20, 25 years uh, before it runs out of fuel. And, you know, if you just look like the uh, one of the images that was released wasn't actually an image. It was a spectra showing the different colors of infrared light. And in that, that was of a, of a giant exoplanet. And we could look at what the atmosphere is made of. So hmm. we're already beginning to learn about the atmospheres of other planets, we could see water on that planet and say, hey, wait, you know, there's water. I mean, it's really, really hot. It's an incredibly hot planet. But pretty soon we'll be able to start seeing water in the atmospheres of Earth-like planets. And if there's water in in the atmosphere of an Earth-like planet, then there are probably oceans. And, hey, maybe life.
0: So would you say in the next uh, few decades, given all these pictures and all the, the opportunities we have to learn more, uh, are we literally going to have to rewrite the textbooks?
6: Oh, for certainly, for some things, yeah, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to get so much more information about so exoplanets and brown dwarves and, uh, and the distribution of dark matter that we're going to have to start adding paragraphs, changing pages, uh, you know, not everything we know is is wrong, but we're certainly going to kind of get a lot of interesting information, a lot of new knowledge a lot more to
0: figure out. I'm talking to uh, Geza Juk, who is the uh, Director of Astronomy at Chicago's Adler Planetarium. I'm going to take a quick break, and after that, I'd like to talk about um, what uh, what your hopes are with uh, the, the James Webb Telescope, which, as I said earlier, uh, was launched around Christmas time of last year and is now sending back photos to us for the first time and showing us, uh, you know, Uh, visions of the galaxy that we never have seen and never could have imagined. What will that hopefully do for the overall excitement and interest in astronomy and namely for your own, your for your self, your, for your selfish uh, needs, hopefully uh, bring more people to the Adler Planetarium. So uh, a lot of excitement on the astronomy front. We'll be talking about that right after this break. But uh, for right now, I'm Jim Toronto, filling in for Dean Richards. We'll be back after this, and no switching. Listen to a cool radio station. That's what you're doing right here at WGN 720 AM. Jim Toronto, filling in for Dean Richards, and um, we are uh, talking with, I guess you can say.
1: To come and meet us but he thinks blow our
0: minds there's a star man yes we've got a star man on the phone with us here uh the director of astronomy from the adler planetarium mr uh Geza and i want to uh, ask you we were talking about the uh the 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 drop dead Amazing photos that came back from the James Webb uh, telescope uh, telescope a few weeks ago, and I'm just wondering now, moving forward uh, for for your basis uh, with the Adler Planetarium, what are your hopes in in these photos bringing new excitement to the world of astronomy and hopefully uh, you know getting more kids involved? Uh, what does this do for for astronomy in general?
6: Oh, it's fantastic for astronomy in general. I remember back when the Hubble was first launched. I mean, it had some teething troubles. It had some difficulties at first. But then when they start, fixed it and, and those incredible images started streaming in, it was just amazing. I know there's a lot of folks who got excited about astronomy because of the Hubble. Uh, just, just the visual impact is so amazing. And I I think the same is going to happen with James Webb. So you know it's 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 a fantastic tool for 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 education and outreach as well as of course the amazing science
0: and we should mention uh, if people don't know that the James Webb telescope is named after one of the former heads of uh, of NASA James Webb who oversaw uh, many of NASA's groundbreaking, um, you know, moments, especially leading up to, uh, you know, all of our spaceflight from 1961 to 1968 or 69. So it certainly is named for somebody who played a pivotal role in, in man's, uh, you know, ascent into space.
6: That's right. Uh, and so, yeah, I hope that the, the namesake is going to do likewise and just get people excited, push us beyond and, and, and forward. Uh, there's, there's so many different things that the uh, James Webb's Telescope is going to be able to do. That you know, if you've got an interest in space, the JWST is going to uh, going to make it more <laughs> more amazing. So if you're interested in black holes, <laughs> JWST is going to observe black holes. You if you're interested go. in stars? <laughs> it's going to observe stars, galaxies, everything. Uh, so there's not a corner of astronomy that uh, JWST isn't going to isn't going to revolutionize
0: Does, will in a, in a more esoteric uh, kind of way will, right even now with these initial photos, uh, with all the different lights and, and where they are and all the different, the detail that you're talking about um, does it also make us rethink our place in the universe?
6: Oh, I think so I mean, like I was saying we're going to be looking at a lot of exoplanets, and just just thinking. Not so long ago, we didn't even know if there were other planets around other stars. And now we know not only there are planets, but there are planets of water. There's planets the size of Earth. You know, and pretty soon, I think we're going to start seeing evidence that there might be life. And if there's life out there, yeah, that really says where did we come from? You know, what place do we have? We know so much about the universe, and yet so little. There's so much more to learn and 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 figure out. You know, who are we? You know how special is the Earth, and you know I personally think the Earth and and humans are, are pretty special <laughs> and pretty unique. But it's it's sure nice to sort of see that evidence that says, "Yep, you know, life life is special."
0: And if there wasn't, if it's there, rare, if there not completely, if there was life, if we yeah. did find some tangible evidence of either past life or current life in other galaxies or other planets that still doesn't dim- diminish our life on this planet right
6: no not at all i think it makes it even more special it means that that we're really part of the universe we're not something separate where where you know it says that the universe is about life i think yeah and that that means that we should take be, be serious and about sort of respecting life if if, uh, if so yeah no i think it's it's
0: if I was a a, a a new say I'm say I'm a, even an adult or a young kid, it doesn't really matter. And I'm I've seen these photos from the James Webb Telescope, and I'm so excited by them that I'm now into astronomy, and and I go out and I buy a telescope. If I'm if I'm a uh, an amateur astronomer at this point, just getting into it because I'm all excited about this, and I were to get a telescope. What would you as as a as a pure novice? What would you suggest that I do with that? Where should I look? What should I look for?
6: First thing you should look is you to look around your community and find an uh, amateur astronomy club. But those will be folks who are really excited and help you sort of figure out how to use your telescope, how to learn to look through it and sort of train your eye to be able to see those subtle details and things. The second thing I'd do is I'd get a book that helps sort of helps you learn about how to look at the sky. There's a great one. Uh, called 365 Starry Nights. It just sort of steps you through interesting things in the night sky. And the third thing I'd do, (laughs) or maybe just the first, I'd come down to the Adler. Uh, (laughs) every Wednesday, uh, we're open late. Uh, we, we open late and we stay open late. And we have our really large telescopes, telescope in our Dome Observatory open. We've got telescopes on the terrace. Uh, we, and you're interested, we'll have answers. What if if so I wanted come to, down to the Adler and,
0: If I wanted to buy a telescope, what what should I look for? What should I even you know, as a beginner okay. or something? What should I mean? Is there is there, is there a good starter
6: kit? <laughs> okay, so nice uh, suggestion for your first telescope is binoculars. a so nice good pair of binoculars, you can see a lot of stuff. And then once you've learned a little about the sky, how to view things, I'd say. All right, you still interested? Excellent. Get a telescope that doesn't advertise how big a magnification is. Turns out, magnification isn't the big issue. What you want is one which has really a really steady mount that doesn't sort of wobble around. You want one which has a reasonably large but doesn't have the huge aperture. You know, that's the size, sort of the width of it. And you want one that has interchangeable eyepieces, there's a bunch of things. But the most important thing about a telescope is that you use it. And so if you go out and you buy yourself a big, huge telescope that's difficult to bring out and difficult to set up and, you know, it's, it's heavy and a nuisance, then you'll use it a few times and then it'll just be too much. So you a got to start with, you know, a modest-sized telescope, you know, something that you can carry and set up in your backyard, or or even take out to a darker area outside the city. Something that's not a huge hassle. Something you can do just by yourself. And once you've got captured, once you're really hooked in, so then you can get your bigger telescopes, and then you'll just be excited to do it.
0: Well, I'll tell you, um, when I was, I said this at the top of the show, uh, one of my favorite, uh, you know, when I was in grammar school, one of my favorite field trips is when we went to the Adler Planetarium and we'd sit in that theater room and we'd look up at that Ceiling with all those stars, and it just it just opened your imagination, and it made you feel uh, like you were in another place. And now I would have to assume that you're going to have to uh, change that ceiling based on these <laughs> photos from the James Webb Telescope.
6: <laughs> oh yeah, we're 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 planning new shows, and thank you. It's it's such a delight to hear that people enjoyed our shows and and they remember them tomorrow. That's, oh. that's what we always like
0: to hear no, definitely. And, and these photos I know personally have just have just reignited my interest and so I'm looking forward to the next ones and um, definitely going to to make a trip to the Adler and, and see what you've got there because it's been a while since I've been there I want to thank uh, Geza Jook who is the director of astronomy give us uh, your hours there so people can uh, can know when they can come and, and see all the delights you have at the Adler Planetarium alright well so
6: uh, on Wednesdays without telling you uh, but we're open late, so that's 4 p.m. to uh, 10 p.m. Uh, on other days, uh, I think that we open uh, starting at 9 uh, a.m. Uh, through, uh, through, I think, 5 uh, p.m., except yeah. on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we get ourselves to school groups. Oh, I see. Uh, so that, uh, so that the, all the weekends, Monday, Friday, and Wednesday... Uh, come on down and of course just check on our website for the precise hours well thank you so
0: much uh like i said uh I, i was blown away by seeing these photos as i said i could hear the excitement in your voice uh we really are in a very historic time and i hope most people can take some time away from their their crazy lives and and take a look at these photos and uh and really grasp what uh what it means because i think uh we're going to uh Continue to see some uh, amazing photos that, like I said before, uh, change our view of the of our world and of of the galaxies and world around us. So, thank you, Gaze the Joke for uh, for helping uh, giving us a little insight into what we ha- are seeing now and what we may see in the future. And thanks for joining me.
3: Thank you. It's a pleasure.